Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode. And is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. Welcome to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thank you guys very, very much for being back with us here for episode number 169. It is Monday, March the 16th, 2020, and we are here again to romp you through the world of retro wrestling. As always, I'm Joe Morata, joined by Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Howdy, Dee. Quinn, episode number 169. 169! Thank you very much. We're here, baby. We wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same. To the mountaintop. <laughs> yes, this is the mountaintop, folks. And uh, hopefully you can uh, climb on over to Twitter and follow us there. We have some uh, WrestleMania clips that have been going on all month so far, kind of just going in order, bringing you some fairly well-known moments, maybe some bleepers that yeah, there might bleepers, be. Bleepers, bloopers, <laughs> body slams, 69s, perhaps. 69s, you know, all yeah, whoa, of it. Whoa, whoa, now, whoa. I, I mean, episode 69. There you go. Obviously. Uh, so yeah, check us out on Twitter, though, at OVP Podcast. It's, uh, we try to make it fun. We try to just have a place where people can follow us and see old wrestling clips, maybe stuff they've seen before or stuff they haven't. Yeah, they, no arguing, none of that crap. They just want to uh, reminisce, uh, see Euchre in his book and all yeah. this. Yeah, so. Euchre in the WrestleMania book, right? right. Rock, Rock and Robin miss her cue. Oh, horrible. Stuff like that. Uh, so follow us there on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can also email us if you'd like at OVPPodcast at gmail.com. That is OVPPodcast at gmail.com. But Quinn, there's another place that people can hang out with you and me and hundreds upon hundreds of other retro wrestling fanatics talk about the old wrestling. Where might that be, Michael? Over at Facebook.com slash 69. Yes, great, right. Great site about um, that number. That's it, all we talk about. It, we, it's, that's it. It's just all about the... No, it's not really. It's like, no. It's about old wrestling. <laughs> you heard of it. Yeah, um, that's what we do here. Yeah, it's about that and sometimes new wrestling. And you know what? It's old, but it has this advanced feature, a search bar. Oh, whoa. What search is that bar. all about? What do you do? You type into the search bar with your keyboard. <laughs> another new invention. Yes, sure. Uh, our vantage point, dash, retro wrestling podcast, bing, bang, boom, tubes, gore, kafui. It's all there. You join the group, right? right? Yeah, you hit the button. It says join the group. Punch the button. You know, the operators let you in, and that's it. And that's it. Once you're in the group, folks, here's the whole point of it. Like Quinn said, talk about the old wrestling. A little new. That's fine. Talk about the current events in the, in the wrestling business and mm-hmm. things like that. Cody Rhodes tattoo. Cody Rhodes tattoo, if you'd like. Uh, not that that hasn't been done to death elsewhere. <laughs> and uh, if you want to join the group and you want to be a part of a community that doesn't make fun of each other and tear each other down, this might be a good place because we have one overall rule that encompasses a lot of things. And that, of course, is, Quinn. Don't be a dingus. Don't do it. Just yeah. don't be one. Just don't. Be nice. Don't blow <laughs> the not, dingus in my face. It, yeah, really. Yeah. Especially with episode number 169. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Whoa. No, but really, it's not hard to just not be an asshole. Right. I'm, I'm a group. You just, yeah, it's not hard. You, you just, just don't say mean things to each other. If somebody says something outrageous, you say, I don't agree with that. <laughs> That. That, that that's the most stern you can be yeah the more you know yeah uh, so yes join us on facebook it'll be a fun time there and a little bit later we'll have some detailed info on patreon but we do have a patreon account with a lot of extra stuff if you like ovp and you want more stuff specifically the pay-per-view reviews that seems to be a big attraction for people we're going through the 
WWF pay-per-views in order. We have SummerSlam 89 coming out very soon. It's in the hopper. If it's you in the hopper, the TL hopper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash OVP podcast. A little more info on that later. But Quinn, the season's winding down. And before it does, uh, this this whole season for the opening segment, we have been talking about things that have influenced wrestling in some way, shape, or form. I think they call them the um, influencers. Yes, the that, influencers. That's what they say, right? That's right. Uh, we've talked about things like ECW, mm-hmm. the TLC match, and what that did, maybe. We've talked about Billy Graham. Most recently, uh, we talked about Gorgeous George, and we talked about videotapes last week. Yeah, lots of old things. All yeah. things across the board, right? And uh, for this one, Quinn, for episode number 169, 169, I wanted to talk about what people call colloquially as the dirt sheets. I mean, it was funny because because the finish of the match actually in the building was phenomenal. A very colloquial. A lot of parochial. Yeah. Now, what is a dirt sheet, Quinn? It's, it's a dirty sheet of paper <laughs> that it's got some rumors on it or, yeah, you know, like... Uh, possibly this, innuendo. This, this wrestler drove his car through a McDonald's, you know, like something like that. <laughs> okay, so the dirt sheets, as they're not so affectionately called, uh, would be a term for the wrestling newsletter. Specifically, it got started really with, like, Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer. Some of the other matches were good. I didn't think... It, um but yeah, it fell off the rails. Not to give you the whole history of wrestling in print media, right. here's a brief print uh, media. <laughs> print media. Here's a brief summarization Such for an you. Important topic. Print to, media. To be in print media. <laughs> New York Times so, is covering this one. Some of the early wrestling magazines from like the 50s and the 60s, like by Stanley Wetson, would cover wrestling in much the same way that boxing and other sports would be covered, and that would be as a legitimate sport. <laughs> Because kayfabe wasn't really, it was known, obviously, that right. this stuff wasn't real, but it was treated in the print media as uh, legitimate, you know, and Bill After, obviously, and his magazines that he became associated they're with. They're not his magazines. They're not his. Do, do not even don't, stop. Don't call them that. Yeah. They're Stanley Weston's magazines. To be exact. Yes. yes. Uh, the Wrestler Inside Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. They maintained kayfabe like forever, sometimes to this day. Yeah, I don't really consider those dirt sheets. They're not. Like, they're, they're like Ric Flair is good. Like you know, like it's, <laughs> rule breakers. Yeah, you know, like rule breakers and fan favorites. Yeah, it's just very like by the book. It's yep. as if literally like Vince McMahon told him like this is this is what the storyline right. is, and he just like they don't deviate outside. No, they yeah. treat everything as real, and uh, there is a certain charm to that. People love those magazines, obviously, especially the eighties and nineties ones. My favorite is like interviews in there where where it's like they're clearly talk- written by like, bill after right, where they're just talking as if the shit in the wrestling is real i love that though right you know, it like, really it's charming however a guy named dave Meltzer, right he um in the very early 1980s a wrestling fan grew up in california you know saw the the san francisco territory roy shire and all that real fanboy. he was a fanboy, if you will and uh he started the wrestling observer newsletter in 1982 cool I guess through being a fan and probably from observing yeah. wrestling well, for as long as he do. did. It's usually what you do when you watch wrestling. You, you observe, observe it. it. Right. I feel like, though, that name is, like, really playing off, like, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, like, Wrestling Observer. Like, it's, like, trying so. to act like it's, like, a legitimate 
production right. over here. And this guy was in his early early 20s, I think, when yeah. he started it. But credit to him. I'm not going to tear him down or anything right now because... Five-star match and six-star match. What he did is he provided an alternative, kind of like a trade magazine, like an mm-hmm. insider magazine, where using various contacts and just things that he had compiled knowledge-wise throughout the years... He was able to peel back the curtain a bit for people that were interested in that sort of thing. Now, from the beginning, Joe, I don't I've never seen the early observers, but is it always like immediately like, no, this is like what's happening. Like this guy showed up late and, you know, Vince McMahon Sr. hates him now or. Was it like that? To that extent, as much as he knew or he could find out, he would report things going on, too. It wasn't just rumor and gossip, right? Mm -hmm. It was also just reporting on what was going on in wrestling. Because, yeah, another thing I think Dave Meltzer did a lot, which a lot of people weren't doing, is like he would talk about like attendance and like like, how much money they were making and stuff. Correct. And obviously, his newsletter grew into uh, what it is today, which is... A lot of people know about it. A lot of people make fun of it. A lot of people swear by it and what Dave Meltzer reports. And we're not really here to judge that too much one way or another. Dave, no one believes anything you write because you rated matches on minus two stars, plus one star, four star. But we're going to talk about the influence of it. Obviously, people followed suit. Wade Keller with the uh, Pro Wrestling Torch in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Brian Alvarez with the figure four in the uh, mid-90s, and that was merged with Meltzer's Wrestling yeah. Observer. And there are countless others. But here's what I want to talk about influence-wise, and I guess I want to pose some questions to you, Quinn. Okay. Do you think it was... I, mean, I don't want to say necessary, but do you think it added to perhaps someone's consumption of wrestling, the average fan that got their hands on this stuff, to know behind the scenes? Do you think that was something that was beneficial? or Well, for better or for worse, I think it was, because I think it ultimately what it does is it deepens your fandom. In like, a sense. That's, I guess, a good thing, because it means that like your fans are really in tune with what's going on, and it adds like a different dimension to like the crowd and what they cheer for and stuff. In good and bad ways, but like my point is, is that I always felt at its best, it really gets you excited for certain shows, right? When you start to hear rumors that like, man, they might really give the title to this guy and I really like him. So it's like it it adds that I think it adds that like anticipation for the next pay-per-view show or big whatever big show. Okay. You know, do you think that the fact that so many people have read or read these things or, or hear things, you know, maybe not read them directly, hear things from quote-unquote dirt sheets uh that turn out to not be true yes but then that's not kind of played you know sometimes myths start in these things Mm -hmm. and they're believed for years and years and years to the point where the truth comes out people don't believe it do you think there's a detriment there yeah i do because here's here's one example right now vince mcmahon always the topic of the dirt sheets he seems to me he's like the central character of most of the dirt sheets in general um and there's this impression of him that for better or for worse, maybe sometimes it's true, but I, I bet you it's not as true as it's made out to be, like, that he's so out of touch, like, that he's just this complete oaf, like, why does he own a wrestling company? Right. Like, there's no way that can possibly, like, yeah, sure, he's like 80 or whatever he is, <laughs> like, and, and, and yeah, he's not totally in tune, but he also makes, like, billions of dollars on, right. like, he's not, like, an idiot. Like, right. you know, <laughs> like, I guess, like, that's, like, the kind of stuff where it's, like, this is a little, it gets a little out of hand. Right. Right. Here's, here's a positive influence I want to talk about. Cause again, folks, there's, there's various factors here. And I think you're going to agree with me because you were talking about broadening and deepening fandom and stuff like that. It does. And especially in the eighties, pre widespread internet and things like that. And kind of hand in hand with videotapes, 
it did and still does to this day expose people to things that they might not otherwise know about when it comes to wrestling. Right. And maybe turn them on to things that they'll really like, specifically Japanese wrestling. Yeah, I do think the influence there is is very big. I mean, like Japanese wrestling in America, I remember growing up for years, it's only until recently, and that was like a big build, but it's due to the dirt sheets. Like, nobody could even watch it with like even English commentary. You right. might now, it's been like five years or so. I bet you there's a lot of fans who don't even remember Right. When it was just only Japanese yeah. commentary. Like, Except that weird show in Europe with like Oliver Humperdinck and uh, Craig DeGeorge. Don't bring, don't bring that <laughs> with, the, with the crickets or whatever in the background. The table tennis. Yeah. As Eddie Guerrero sent in the ropes one more time. This time goes for another backdrop, but able to get up with a little arm drag there. Yes, he pulled the arm down. So I think that's one good aspect. I think one negative aspect, and I can't blame the actual dirt sheets themselves, but what happens is now, now all these insider terms are almost common amongst fans right like mm-hmm. widespread not the casual fan sitting at home that t- watches this once in a while but the internet fan right i mean the big one heel and face right, right? nobody fucking I, I, right. when i was a kid we called them breakers good, and fan favorites well, i no. call them good guys and no. bad guys so but, and that wasn't even be, that was like before vince said good guy bad. Yeah, like that's, he didn't want you to say that anymore. You, know, you know why he said that because most people that's fucking said them. that yeah. Like, yeah unless you were bill after and yeah. had weird names for him but then other terms like buried buried yeah, buried ricochet Dear God, it's like they're actively trying to bury him. You thieving would be speaking German if it weren't for us, cheap little man. Now everyone is an expert. Yeah, that's and that's me, a negative. That's the big negative, right? It's because I feel like we go into every one of these shows every <laughs> month. It's it's always like, oh man, they're they're booking him wrong. And right, they're booking gonna, him wrong. They're gonna right. bury him. Right. It's just like, dude, just watch the fucking. It's like it's like a movie or a TV. Just watch. Just watch it. Who cares? Like, do you like? watch game of thrones or the sopranos you know like i know those shows aren't on anymore but the point is do you watch those shows and you'd be like man the writer's really fucked up there it's like you know no i see some of that actually leak into certain things but for the most part the internet most regular people don't aren't thinking about the writing of like a television show they're just like i want to kill a half an hour or an hour yeah on roseanne when dan and roseanne got into a big fight well what a nice relevant reference. I didn't blame the writers. I was just like very upset for the characters. Right. Does exactly. that make sense? It's only until later you're like, why did they well, write you- the Roseanne season, the last one, like <laughs> yeah, so weird. Right. But good yeah. recovery with the Connors, by the way. Just very saying. good recovery. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that's one of the things is now everyone thinks they know what they're talking about when really they don't. And mm-hmm. that includes uh, like if we pretend to really know more than we do, then we're full of shit, too. Yeah. And that's why we, we don't pretend you know, to do that, because now everyone just looks at the behind the scenes aspect of it. Mm-hmm. This is the next negative part of the the influence here i think dave Meltzer is a tremendous historian i really do mm-hmm. i think he does know what he's talking about when it comes to business metrics i'm not interested in them but i, I think, think he knows what he's talking I think about his bios are very good i think yeah as a historian he's fantastic that's actually one of the to me that's actually one of the highlight segments yeah. that he does the strongest he's like, great people that. say he's like a bad writer or whatever he is he's a horrible he, writer but but and his, speaker his bios are very very that's the most well written stuff where you're like this is like an right. encyclopedia like you could put this you could just put this bio on wikipedia and it would be like a great definition of who this correct. is correct i agree with that i think he's a good reporter honestly because he, you know you got to be able to discern what what you're getting fed is bullshit or not mm-hmm. and obviously sometimes contacts within the business are going to do that on purpose to to swerve the dirt sheet so who the hell knows yeah i don't think a regular person 
could you'd have to do this for years to weed through what is and what is not bullshit because if you're like a legitimate reporter and you've never reported on wrestling you're going to take every source's legit you're going to look into everything correct and just waste your time yeah (laughs) right and there's other good ones out there that that do a very good job of sean ross sap there's a bunch but that's reporting yeah right and that's trying to dig into rumors and stuff i do want to say one Uh, beneficial thing after a negative thing there i don't think podcasts or fan-made stuff about wrestling exists without Meltzer. Like, I don't think we exist without Meltzer. I'm not even kidding, because, like, he is the... It's It really is the first of his kind where he was just a fan. Yes, he was. That, like, yep. that like, got into contact with people and started doing this. Right. And it's like, that really opened the door. Like, I always looked at Meltzer as, like, that's kind of a, su- a success story of, like, you don't have to be some weird insider and, like, your dad has to be a wrestler or something right. to have, like, a connection. Like, you know? I agree with that. I don't like the weight that his uh, star ratings carry and the influence that, you know, that culture in general carries because, and again, he's allowed to have opinion, but so many people take his opinion as if it's the only truth. Yeah, it's always been weird to me that, and this is a negative, it is weird to me that in most things, right, like, for example, video games or movies or, or music, right? Right. Usually you, there's there's tons of outlets reviewing, you know, like stuff. So you kind of get a, a weight. So that's why you have something like Metacritic or whatever, right? Because sure. you, you have like the general consensus in wrestling. You have one man's opinion, and that's that. That's the weird thing, right? right? And, and, then, and that that is that is the gospel, like well, you know. And then a lot of people that grew up as fans the same way we did. Let's say you grew. Let's say a little earlier than us, right? Let's say you grew up during the Hulkamania era, which you and I didn't. We were at the tail end of that and mm-hmm. into the new generation, right? And you love this stuff as a kid, right? And then you discover in your teens, let's say the Wrestling Observer newsletter. And you see all the negative things Dave has to say about all of it. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, I was wrong. This guy is right. This stuff is terrible. Yeah. And that's what I don't like is it may, there's, the culture now makes people feel bad for liking stuff it that does. Meltzer says sucks. Yeah, it's actually and that I don't encouraged, like. it's encouraged to hate everything in wrestling. Well, that's why the fan base is in the shape it's in. And like, I'm not trying to like paraphrase Hogan. While, <laughs> I'm just saying like because that, of bullshit that, like this. That is why. We look at absolutely everything, and every pay per view is like this match sucked, this stunk. Yeah, fuck I know. This Raw was awful. That's like, what I don't like, like. It's just like, dude, just watch the damn show. Right. Honestly, the only things that should be pointed out is stuff that truly is fucking awful. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like the other is just kind of like, well, that was whatever. Like, you know, like you don't have to like make a bit, make a stand and die on that hill about that bullshit. You know, and a lot of people just parrot what they hear from other sources that are more reputable. And it's just very bizarre to me because you could be, you know, you people feel bad for liking things that are perceived in that culture as bad. And that's why we have a big policy over on our group for real. Just like what you like. Mm-hmm. Who cares? The major story is Bray Wyatt confronted uh, Mr. McMahon, Vince, Vince McMahon. And he says, why did you make me lose? And I know, like, some people are saying, Joe and Quinn, will you review matches for part of your Patreon or whatever, right? We do right? for entertainment, first um, of all. Well, first of all, I always feel that our re- our reviews, personally, just because of, like, how we we try to approach it. But, like, I rate things on entertainment value, yeah, that's mostly, what I'm saying. And then, rather than, like, this technical match. And, stuff. Right. and that's the other, Dave Meltzer. Yeah. The way he, it's not just the, the, the star system. That I no, think is, didn't a, even invent is that. a weird influence, which it is. It is. But it's also the the approach he takes is totally different 
than most people take to normal entertainment. To subjective right? entertainment. Right. Like, I will give a Duggan match three stars if it, like, is fun and jolly. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. like, like, I don't care. Because to me, I was like, well, I was entertained, right? Right. Like, but he, on the other hand, would be like, oh, he's so stupid and he did nothing. The negative whole one. Yeah, negative, you know? And it's, it's based on, like, the moves and the execution. Right. It's instead of where does this fit within the show? Right. You know, like, how did this flow in what I'm watching? Mm-hmm. It's not just every match is a standalone. You know, right. there's context around it. And there's- every wrestler wrestles a certain way because that's his job on the right. card. Yeah. Like, the, to me, it's like it, you, some guys like the honky tonk man, they're not supposed to be technical wizards. They're right. supposed to piss you off because it's like stomp and punch yeah. and like, you know, the the shake, rattle and roll. You right. know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think overall that there is some good. Mm-hmm. Like we were saying, there there is good because it exposed people to other types of wrestling. It was a breakthrough in terms of a guy that was literally just a dorky fan out in California being able to make contacts. I think it spawned, and not his fault, and not Wade Keller's fault, or any of these really early guys, John Arezzi, all these people. I think it spawned a lot of imitators and copycats that try to just ape what Meltzer was doing. Yeah. I think there's some real good reporters now. Like I said, Sean Ross Sapp is actually very, very good. With a lot of integrity. I think there's some terrible reporters now that are just looking for clicks yep. and following just what everyone else is saying. That's the one thing you got to give Melter. It's like 20, 30 years of reputation built up. It's not yeah. like it's not like he's like some guy that just showed up. Right. He had a he's like fucking Mets fan or something. And he, yeah. and he has like a couple of exclusives. And all of a sudden it's like reliable source. Yeah. The best. Right. Right. Like that's what a, I think the thing that defines Melter against the rest is that it's this gradual buildup. Yeah, of for like, better or for worse yeah, with him. Of like, yeah, of like, there's a reason why he's taken as an authority, whereas a lot of guys nowadays, they get the scoop on one thing, and all of a sudden they're a fucking superstar, and their word is gospel right. on the internet. You I know? agree with that. And whether you like him or not, and I don't really think, I think he's comes off as a real a-hole on Twitter sometimes, and his opinions on the WWF that I love so dearly really piss me off his a lot of the times. His opinions on old-school WWF like are, the 80s. They're very unfair. It, it's his me, opinion, though. But to me, honestly, I don't even think he's personally gone back no, and, he and doesn't looked do that. at like what he reviewed. He doesn't because, do like, that. If he looked back at that 80s stuff, it's like so There's a lot of much, fun. It's so entertaining. You have to like take that into account, and I think that's the thing that he doesn't he misses right? right like and for a guy that was so obsessed with how much money stuff drew yeah and all that well why did it draw a lot of money yeah you know because it was entertaining the majority like the casual wrestling fan doesn't give a shit about fucking reverse hammer no locks, they don't flex bullshit like they they're just like oh did the good guys win and that, like was it enter- did they was it cool that's like, why the know? ratings are always so high when it's very basic i'm talking the hogan era in the 80s and the yeah. austin era of the 90s when it's easy to follow for anybody and it's not just all complex and technical and all these things i thought you weren't going to pretend to be experts dirt shit i do think that uh that his opinions are, you know, different from his reporting, and I want to clarify that. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he uh, goes overboard with his praise of certain things, yep. and I think people follow suit. And I think he goes overboard with his criticism of certain things. Yeah. I think. I think the one thing you could say about him on the Twitter too is that I don't find him actually overly negative personally. I find Not him negative. I just find him douchey. just like within character. Like, yeah, you know I, you're I mean? probably like, he never right. Deviates from it. It's like he's he like likes what he too. likes. Yes. And he, and he he's pretty willing to answer questions which i he find is. interesting like so like i don't want to like trash the guy like, i don't I think, either i, I mean, think I'm, unlike a lot of personalities he's not 
one of those goes overboard. He just stays within his lane, and that's like what it is. Yeah, and he has a persona to, to keep up on Twitter, right, yeah. I think, intentionally. But overall, I think the influence of the Dirt Chiefs has good and bad, folks. I think that it's uh, it's good to, I guess, if you're into the gossip and you're into the rumor and the plans and the business end of it, there's some good there for you. But however, I think when it comes to terms of a commentary and criticism on things, it can ruin the reputation of people and of eras and of matches and shows perhaps unfairly and it sways people to a side without just watching something for themselves and being objective about it mm-hmm. to themselves I, I mean you know so but that's just a small sampling of what i think the influence is folks we want to hear from you you can let us know on twitter at ovp podcast you can email us at ovp podcast at gmail.com or join the group where you can just like what you like and hang out with us that's kind of the whole point of the thing but quinn when we come back the hotly anticipated final two entrants oh boy. for this season's controversial royal rankings that's right it is the best managers of all time the list is going to be finalized in a short short that'll be coming up right after this Staring at the window while somebody's pickup truck Well, I never mind the bottom because I use it for a crutch Just to get me to the plane, it's a difference in the same And every time I try to change it, you always end up the same From the pages of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, direct to your phone The latest news and gossip in the world of professional wrestling Dial every day and PWI editors Bill After and Craig Peters Will take you ringside with in-depth commentary and analysis Plus, you'll get the best of Pro Wrestling Illustrated The world's leading wrestling magazine Off the top rope with Eddie Elder Scouting reports, rankings and more Right at your fingertips Don't miss the action Dial the Pro Wrestling Illustrated line today. $2 the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Hi, this is Jameson. Remember me? Yeah, me neither. You're listening to Our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast. It's the best. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. It is episode number 169. 169! Thank you, Quinn, here on Monday, March the 16th, 2020. All right, Michael, before we get into the Royal Rankings, which I know everyone's waiting for, big mm-hmm. deal, right? This is this is the big boy, right? This here. is the big boy, but we want to tell you about Patreon again real quick here. It is patreon.com slash OVP podcast, and the reason we do this is to give back to you guys that support us. Uh, if you want to donate, we would love that. If you don't, that's okay, too. But if you donate, we have some great rewards for you. I'm going to run them down for you. We max out at the $5 tier. That's $5 that's a month. It. it doesn't go much higher. That doesn't go any higher. It doesn't go I mean, higher I, than that. I'm trying to think. Maybe it does, but no, it doesn't. No. That's it. That's it. If you want every extra piece of content we offer on Patreon, it's literally just $5 a month. And a month, not a week or anything, not mm-hmm. a day. A month, and here's Less than my McDonald's. <laughs> it literally is, yes. And here's what you get. So on the five dollar tier is the monthly pay per view reviews that we talked about. That's where Quinn and I are going in order since WrestleMania one, month by month, doing every WWF pay per view. Uh, we have SummerSlam '89 coming out any day now, okay? And these are like full, you know, two and a half, three, four hour reviews. Mm-hmm. And we do that to make it worth your while. We go through everything in the oh, show. We, yes, we do. Including Quinn and I are coveted, obviously, our very important star ratings. Better than Melders or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Melters. Yeah, better than Melders. Yeah. Uh, so we do that, right? And that's on the $5 tier. But that also includes the $3 tier, which is bi-weekly 1983 WWF Live reviews. Quinn, this is where we're doing championship wrestling. Yeah, championship wrestling. It's a great show with Sweet Hansen, Don Morocco, and <laughs> yes. they, they just fart around and we talk about things while they do it. Yeah, we have it in video form, so you can watch it along with us and see us. Or if you just want to listen, it's also available in audio form. Yeah, I like it to think of it as like it's like hanging out with your friends, watching some old wrestling in like 
chronological order. Yeah, we're just going through championship wrestling. We started in January of 82. We're in April of 83 now, so we are slowly but surely making our way to the Hulkamania era. We're getting there. I mean, yes, we are. Moly, this 83 is going by quick. It is. We're actually uh, almost halfway through the year, so that's on the $3 tier. And then if you just wanted to give us 2 bucks. You're going to get raw weekly video that's the making of every single Monday episode, including the one you're listening to right now. Hey, you can hear the mistakes during this very promo right here. <laughs> if there are any ever. It's a, it's a great advertisement for, for Patreon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The mistakes made in this promo itself. And it also includes a back archive of our Mount Rushmore and Death Valley extras that we did and our OVP commentaries where we go through specific matches on the WWE Network. So again, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. That's if you want to donate, if you want to support the show, we would love that. But we understand if you can't or simply don't want to, we're just happy that you're listening to our free weekly show that we do every Monday. Now that said, Quinn, it is Royal Rankings time. It is, isn't it? This is the last one for the best managers. Man, it's it's been a long road, eh? It's been We've a road, been folks. through so many um, people here. Yes. Captain Lewis and Jimmy Hart and Jim um, Cornette and all like these people. All these yeah. people. Now, the Royal Rankings and the Royal Flush, folks, what that is, is before our season starts, we ask you, the fans, to vote on your top 10 and your bottom 10 of something. For this season, it was managers. Our friend of the show, Joe Merkel, he compiles all the votes for us. We get two separate tanks. There's one with the best and one with the worst, and we alternate weeks. Every week, we pull out two names, we put them on the list, so by the end of the season, we have the definitive scientific, baptized, ordained, USDA organic, certified, and healthy best and worst managers of all time. This is where we're going to finalize the top 10 best. And before we get into that, I understand lately, I've been hearing some rumors on the boards. Oh, yeah, rumors. That there's some controversy surrounding this list, this scientifically proven yeah, list. appearing in the OVP dirt sheets. I have heard terms thrown around such as dumpster fire. Yup. I have heard disparaging remarks about Lou Albano, who is our number one. Don't you. I have heard heaps of praise for Jim Cornette. Mm-hmm. And you know what I have to say to all that? That's fine. You can like what you like. Yeah, we're good with it. It's fine. So, let's go down to Howard Finkel for the Royal Rankings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Hey, I can resort to showing my body. I got a 32-inch weight. I'll tell you the biggest surprise, your employment. The dream that he, too, was going to someday be a champion. You sorry excuse for a human. You sorry excuse for a man. You can have Sinatra, Tom Jones. You can have anybody you want. The Misfits, I don't care. Oh, baby, I love you. Yes, I It is the Royal Rankings of Managers, the final week. Michael Quinn, this is going to be a time. Yes, it will be. It'll be a time. It will determine who the greatest manager to ever exist ever was. Definitively. No disputing. No arguments. Um, This is it. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I want to run down the list for you. At number one. Whether you like it or not, I'm sorry, it's the science, is Lou Albano. Yeah, he's great. He don't, is great. Don't you doubt Lou. Now, number two, I have my reservations on this, but what? it is what it is. Jimmy Hart. Baby, baby, baby. Number three, I have my reservations that he's only at number three, Jim Cornette. Well, I think yeah, that's just about, just about right. <laughs> number four is 
Sherry Martell. That's low to me. Yeah, but, I know, <laughs> but hey, she's great. Number five, Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just like, that's it. perfect. Yeah, Number no, five, it is. like, that's fine. Number six is the other fat Paul, Paul Bearer. I, a very <laughs> underrated manager. He is. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven, J.J. Uh, Dillon. Great rating. Just he's, great. He's, he's, he's definitely in the top ten. He's a piece. You know what my favorite part is? It's what? that he's not the bottom. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> again, I'm not happy about this one either. Slick is number eight. What? What do you mean, what? He's good. Uh, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is the top eight right now. Two more. Uh, uh, one of them is probably a given in most people's minds, mm-hmm. I'm imagining. We'll have to see. Well, let's but, uh, see. Here here comes this given right here, right? Well, let's see. Let's yeah. see. Let's all find out now. Is it time for talking us through? That's This is the last time for talking right here. So Then it's time get, for turkey? Get it all out of your system because <laughs> you're going to have to stuff it yourself with turkey for okay. the rest of the month or something. I don't know. Let's all find out who drew number nine. Little sick. Oh, yeah. He wanted to make you suffer. Oh, yeah. It's that given, Mr. Fuji. (laughs) Very good. Very, very good. Very good, Gene. Yes, Mr. Fuji, folks. Clearly number one, obviously. Oh, my goodness. Well, (laughs) hey, listen, if it's not who you wanted it to be, don't blame us. We don't vote on these. We just rank, okay? So take it to the boards. You yeah. can voice your complaints there, but Mr. Fuji made the rankings. He's so good. He is okay. Uh, so <laughs> he's not that good. If you if you listen to the uh, Patreon three dollar tier, I uh, always extol the virtues of Mr. Fuji, the wrestler. Yeah, yeah he's great. Like, what do you mean, the, just the wrestler? I like everything about him. Well, Mr. Fuji was a wrestler. He was actually a very prominent wrestler in the WWF and then just the regular WWF uh, for a long time. A always tag in, champion, always in good shape. For him, yes. Hey, even you admit it, yeah. For him, yeah. He uh, he was managed by people, so that's why it's really funny. It's well, he's a- managed by the greatest manager of all time, <laughs> Captain Lou Albano. He was also managed at times by Fred Blassie and the Grand Wizard. All three of the uh, philosophers managed really? him at I one didn't time know he or had another. All the other ones at one time or another. Okay. Yeah. My two men promised me they were going to win. And whenever they promise me anything, they've come through. Now, Mr. Fuji was a tag champion with uh, various people, Toru Tanaka, Mr. Saito. But he had this weird transition in like 84, 85, where he was still sometimes wrestling, but he's, then he started to cross into managing. Yeah, he got a tux and a bowler hat and a cane, <laughs> yes. and he's like, that good. Yeah, so first of all, he's just doing an odd job. That's yeah. what it is. Like, literally. He's it's great, though. No, it is. He worked it. He did work it. And he was always portrayed as a wrestler, as either a samurai or devious, or both. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, he had a lot of jobs in his day. He did a lot of different things. A lot of odd jobs, if you will. But when he became a manager, he had a pretty good list of clients. And I, I don't want to be unfair to the Fuge here. Yeah. As much don't as, be un, don't, <laughs> okay. don't stooge the Fuge. One of my favorite clients, and probably one of his best, was when he was paired with Don Morocco in the mid-80s. Yeah, I mean, Fuji Vice, all yeah. this business. Fuji like, General. They, they were really funny, actually. They were a great comedic that's duo. A, I think that's the thing that people forget about Fuji, right? It's that he was really funny. Because he was so bad at acting. You might have, when you started watching WF, you might have been that, you know, the guy in the white kimono kimono thing yeah. and like robe yeah he just kind of like waved a flag and you're like why is who is this guy he like, looked like he was a million yeah and that's how i first found out about him right i saw a kimono version you it's know it's actually very upsetting seeing fuji look old because he always looked actually pretty young yeah until like 92 all of a yeah. sudden he shaves his head and it's all over with i put more money in the slot machines than liberace spends on suits and the showgirls wow are they ever beautiful how beautiful are they? They're so beautiful. They make they make Bo Derek look like Rambo. 
Uh, but he was with Donnie Morocco. You know, he managed him. WrestleMania 2, you can see him with Morocco as uh, Orndorff makes lewd gestures. And I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't either. Uh, WrestleMania 3, he manages Morocco uh, and Orton, mm-hmm. if you will. So he, uh, he had those guys. But not only that, he also very briefly, and this is funny, not a lot of people know this. Probably some people do. When Jim Neidhart first came into the WF, he managed Jim Neidhart, which is I very mean, strange, right? Honestly, you know, Neidhart coming in. I have to say, he looked like kind of a prospect, so he seems totally like somebody up Fuji's eye. Yeah. I will train him into martial arts. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Neidhart doing martial yeah. arts. That's a imagine? good one. <laughs> Neidhart is being led to the ring by his manager from Japan, Mr. Fuji. But he also managed, like, the Moondogs a little bit. He managed, unfortunately, people like Killer Khan. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, okay, this is the one thing that I don't like about Fuji's managership is they would always like put him with people that were like vaguely Asian or yes. foreign just yes. to like, it's like, Oh yeah, Mr. Fuji knows them. Right? right. But meanwhile, he's just like cool with Don Morocco. So it's which like, is my favorite, which it's just odd because it's like, that's not who he is. He's Harry Fuji, the like American. Yes. Like, from know? Hawaii. Actually. Yeah. Uh, he also managed most notably, I bet besides maybe Morocco, depending on your era, he thankfully took over the duties of managing demolition from Johnny V in the spring of 87. <laughs> very, very true, demolition. You make a point suffer. You will tear into the body. You make the bones crackle. Crackle one piece at a time. Probably one of his biggest yeah. like successes. Won the tag titles with him. Yep. Big deal. I mean, Johnny V couldn't do that. He's a no, piece he of couldn't. shit. So. <laughs> and, uh, then he inexplicably decides that he wants the powers of pain instead in late 88. Now, I always look at this the way they book this, right? Yeah. At first, right? They, they, we've been through this, the powers of pain, they're like unstoppable or whatever. Even like faces. building up to demolition. Yep. Like yada, yada, yada. So from like a kayfabe perspective, it looks like, oh, Fuji's get, getting ahead of the game because these powers of pain, they're clearly just better than demolition. Yeah, right. right? They're it, even better. Like, so he's just, he's like preemptively dumping them. Like he's the smartest one out of everybody. Right, right? Well, he's, he's devious too. Right, yeah. He, he's, he's already seen the tea leaves, if you will, right? <laughs> it's like, they're obviously going to win the tag title. So he just, he just dumps demolition before they lose it so that Fuji doesn't have to take the loss. Right. Right. But what happens? Uh, they never win. The powers of pain never beat well, demolition. because ultimately they're very terrible. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 it's just like it was just bad tea leaves or something. It was I don't very know. bad tea leaves, and obviously, uh, Fuji had the ceremonial salt that he always carries with yeah. him. And I want to note about all of this. That yes, sir. This leads to one of my favorite Fuji moments of all time: is the uh, WrestleMania Five Boardwalk Five K thing, where yeah. Fuji is like, "I am in good shape," and then like he literally like he like runs ahead of everyone. This is. The comedic like timing of Mr. Fuji and why he's good and right. like what he does is he comes out there full suit bowler hat and yep. cane with like the running number on his on, like, on the back right on the or back or, or I think it's on the front neck. yeah and then like he run, he runs ahead of everyone and cheats and then like a stampede of people like outrun him it's amazing and then they like clip and he somehow like finishing at 19 minutes of 5k which is like ludicrous <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> so he's it, like oh that's a pear shaped lord hayes yeah, and all it, that we love that this is the kind of it's the little things with mr fuji yeah. that he's like willing to do like the vignettes like with the fuji vice and the in this and stuff i'll say that he's great in vignettes and there's one in particular we'll talk about in a second but so he uh 
kind of doesn't do anything successful with the powers of pain, sells them off to Bobby Heenan and Slick, respectively, has his new team of the original shitty Orient Express with yeah, the uh, really dumpy one. The one with Sato instead the of Kato. Sato needed to go. <laughs> he sucked. He, he needed stinks. To go, <laughs> he needed to go paint his face white and manage uh, Hakushi. Yeah. You know? But he had uh, another guy in that in that combo, didn't he? He had Tanaka. Yes, and I, Tanaka was excellent. And he was. And then they brought they bring in Kato. And that was the dream team the version Orient of the Orient Express because it's bad company. Uh, perennial openers of Royal Rumbles. Yeah, they did two in a row. <laughs> yeah, right? I always thought that was weird. Yeah, that was a good team, and uh, they didn't really have much success, but they had that really good match against the Rockers. Yeah, at I thought Rumble both, both years they opened. Yeah, were good. and the new foundation at Rumble '92. Yeah, so he had that. He also had the Berserker throughout '91 and two, which a is weird like weird acquisition. Like, and it never fit Fuji to me. Well, because the Berserker is supposed to be at first, he was like a Viking from Iceland. He was actually called the Viking. And that's totally up Fuji's alley. Viking right. from Iceland. Yeah, that's, 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 what a match. What right? a pairing, right? Yeah, it, it just it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? <laughs> right? Like That's totally what you expect. Peanut butter and swordfish. Yeah. And then uh, the Berserker is tweaked a little bit. Now he's suddenly from Parts Unknown and he's more goofy and more hussy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it was just funny because they did do a very funny vignette, I think on WrestleFest 92, the videotape, where uh, Berserker's planning a party or something and Fuji's what? with him. It's funny. I don't even remember that one. It, it's a good one actually because fuji's like all mr fuji about like planning it, a party it sounds mr fuji yes yeah. so. <laughs> so so there's that Isaac and i will show you how to show you a very very special party that's right but really his biggest success would come in the fall of 1992 when he manages a newcomer a sumo of course by the name of Yakazuma or Yokozuma or whatever the name said, oh, it's so never many right. Different. <laughs> Fuji called him Yokozuma. Virgil <laughs> called him Yakazuma, yep. and his real name was Yokozuna. Yeah, Undertaker called him Yokozuna. Yoka, yeah. Yokozuna, like Toka <laughs> yeah. and Rose Razor or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna face you and take back the belt that you stole from my Yokozuma. So Fuji manages Yokozuna, and this is where he slowly switches. And this is important, and we need to mention this in the Fuji canon, at least. Yes, from the suit and the bowler hat to the kimono. Because what happens here is first when he manages the first time he manages Yoko, he's still got the traditional bowler hat and suit. The, Just like the at first the time. very beginning, right? Like not not that long. No. A lot of people don't even remember it because it was like a couple of weeks on right. Superstars. Then around the later fall, towards the winter of '92. Fuji loses the bowler hat and has a black kimono, but he still has hair. Then at Royal Rumble 93, Fuji's got his familiar gray kimono and only a little bit of hair. And then by WrestleMania 9, he bald completely. Right. And, that's and that's what the happened. Fuji we know for pretty much the rest of his career, the, right? Yeah, the new gen version new, of new Fuji. Gen, which basically, he essentially only has Yokozuna. Like, it's just like... yeah. He's put all his eggs in this Yokozuna basket, right? Yep. And it pays off. Oh, it definitely pays off. This is probably Fuji's most successful run here, right? Yep, because despite the yellow belly incident from WrestleMania 9 where Hogan quickly mm-hmm. beats Yoko. But they quickly amend this at King of the Ring. I love King of the Ring. I love everything about Hogan losing you know, that, that match. Japanese photographer yep. that might be Harvey Whippleman. I think is, it is. Um, gets <laughs> flashes it in Hogan's face, and now Mr. Fuji has the WWF champion for the second time. For the second time, and that little uh, Hulk Hogan fan, Roddy Hogan or whatever, that's always front row. <sighs> so He's so annoying. sad about yeah. it, and it's great to see uh, Yokozuna begin the nine-month reign of terror. Yeah, as the WWF yeah, champion. This also leads to, um, I, I don't know if it's before or after he, the second run, I think it's before, what? is cooking for the single man. Well, that's very important. Right, it's, it's very important. This is the one of the best things Fuji ever did. Right, so on Smack'em Whack'em, 
Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna decided to invite Gene Okerlund to a, uh, a hibachi restaurant. The, the finest uh-huh. hibachi restaurant in, in all of Connecticut. Or, yeah, like, <laughs> probably one of the 70 hibachi ref- restaurants in the city. Yeah, and we've talked about this countless times, and uh, it's just so much fun, this cooking for the single man segment on Smack 'em Whack 'em, because Gene Okerlund and Fuji... And then Yoko, who doesn't talk, obviously. Yoko's the silent partner in yeah. this Three Stooges kind of situation. Yeah, he, he, he really is. And they are so funny because Gene is selling the food like he sells everything. Like, oh, oh, no, Mr. Yeah. Fuji, no. Yeah. Why, Jay, that says, uh, you know, the. Yeah, and then you have the assistance of Lou, the. the, the, the come on, the, cook. The, the hibachi chef. Come on, cook. Yeah. Ayo, ayo, come on, cook. Yes, yes, more, more, more. What are you talking about? More, more, more. Come on. Come on, cook. Let's go. Let's go. It's great. Uh, everyone needs to watch Cooking for the Single it's so Man. Good. I'm pretty sure it's like on YouTube. Just I think it's on the yeah, network too, though. Yeah, but just by itself. I mean, it like if, just, if you don't want to like scrub through it on the network. And there's also a that knife looks very sharp, Lou. Yeah, it's an amazing it, like. It is. Yeah, it's like an amazing like seven minutes of just like <laughs> so straight good. comedy from Fuji, Gene, Yoko, and, even Yoko, and, and yeah. Lou, and Lou. Don't forget Lou, Lou, the chef. Yeah. So. Anyway, Fuji doesn't really manage Yoko that long on his own because in August of 93, we bring in uh, some help. We bring in some assistance. Quinn's personal favorite manager, Jim Cornette. Now, I must say, this this to me is like, this is the indicator of how Cornette is not very good in WF. Right. Like, as we explained, like, right, like he comes in. And I don't know, just something about this doesn't seem right to I me. I like Yokozuna! Yeah, it's just like, I don't know what it is. It's like, we had Fuji. He was can't fine. Talk. Fuji stinks at talking. But he, does, he doesn't stink at talking because we just saw cooking for the single man. Yeah, so I we, know, I we know, know he's good. Now, can I ask you a question? Crush falls under the tutelage of Mr. Fuji, yeah, who so Crush is, always called Master Fuji. So to me, I consider this under the umbrella of Yokozuna, like as a stable, right? Because it's cor- like Fuji's like representing him in a more like very traditional Japanese way, like master again, yeah. and like all this shit. And Crush, you forget, also was managed by Mr. Fuji before. Anyway, when he was in the demolition as the third Bad version, the horrible yeah, demolition. Yeah. We, we totally skipped over like him getting, it, getting the shitty demolition. Yeah, the but, shitty music demolition, the one that loses to Katow and Tenaru and all that at seven. Right, but my point is that there was a history crush already. Ma- Fuji was his master in the past, so That's he was true. just like returning home. He was remastering, if you yeah. will. But Cornette didn't manage Crush with him, did he? I feel like Cornette only managed Yoko during that period of time. No, Crush was exclusive to Fuji. <laughs> right, because like... Cause, cause James E. Cornette, all he was doing was just, you know, talking for Fuji the whole time. Right. Or uh, for Yoko. For Yoko. Because if you think about WrestleMania 10, where Crush takes on Savage, Cornette's not out Cornette's there. Cornette's not involved at all. That's inter- I never thought of that until now. But anyway, so Fuji then kind of, you know, he's there with Yoko and Cornette uh, until the end of 94, the casket match. And then we don't see Fuji again until WrestleMania 11 when Yoko returns with Owen Hart. Mm-hmm. And now Fuji's there, but Cornette's like more clearly their manager as the tag champions. Right. But I mean, here's the thing. Is Fuji is a shrewd businessman. He's not. He's going right. to get on the take in this tag title run. You know, he's just going to stand, stand there. It's like very good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and uh, my Yokozuma, my Yokozuma, and that's exactly what he did. And then he would be sporadic until. Uh, remember when Yoko turned face in '96? So, okay, I like this as a little like side note here. Is that to, to me it proves that Yoko was definitely 100% Fuji's guy all during like the shared thing with Cornette and everything. Right, yeah, is that when Yoko turns face. 
Fuji goes right with him. Yep. And now he's got an American flag instead. I, I do like that. And that's actually pretty it's much... so stupid, but it's also like, I don't know, it's charming that, like, Mr. Fuji's like, no, he's like my guy. Like, yeah. I don't... Like, if he turns face, I'm going with him. Right. Like, I love it. it. Yeah. It's like, I like America now. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of it for him. He retired. That was it for Fuji in 96. He, uh, he lived 20 more years after he retired. He lived until 2016. He like a movie theater or something. He or worked at one. Wash. He didn't and, own one. He worked at one because okay. he just... He was just like, Tennessee, and he's yeah. like, I don't care. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, I want to do something yeah. all day, you know? And uh, he's a Hall of Famer, obviously, 2007. He was, you know, inducted. And I love when old men get, like, like these throwaway jobs. They don't, they, like, do retire- else, they don't yeah. technically need to. So it's like, you know what? Fine. Yeah. Like, I'll just hand the tickets out at the movie theater. <laughs> right. Go home at, like, after, like, three hours. Right. You know? <laughs> and I am so proud from the bottom of my heart. Let me tell you. And that was it for him. Overall, uh, obviously, when we get to the rankings, we'll talk more. But I think Fuji is very memorable, if nothing else. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know about good or bad yet. We'll have to talk about that. But definitely very memorable. He was a presence throughout the 80s as a manager and through about half of the 90s as a manager. He's one of a kind, honestly, Mr. Fuji. He was. He he really is. It's like a lot of people like to talk shit about him, but he's kind of like... I don't know. It's just like he—he's like this familiar thing that just feels like it feels comfortable him being there. It, right. It makes sense. Uh, so we'll have to talk more when it comes time to ranking. But Quinn, it's time now. It is time for number ten. I think it's no surprise, but we have to do the formalities well, it be, it anyway. Might be a surprise. So it who, could be. You know, let's let's start the countdown timer. All right. Let's find out, folks, who drew number ten. You want to talk about the final chapter? I'll be glad to talk about the final chapter. Well, did you expect anyone else? What a surprise. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's the brain, baby. The brain. Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, Bobby Heenan is someone that there's so much to say about that we, we, we have a whole episode about. Yeah. Like, it's on, like, when Bobby passed away, we did, like, an entire retrospective yeah. on his entire career. And uh, so I don't, I, we can't get into the nitty and the gritty of every single thing he did because he managed for so long. But obviously, in the minds of many people, Bobby was the automatic number one on this list. And we'll talk about what we think when we get to rankings. But Bobby Heenan. Just to clarify, actually started as a wrestler in the early 60s. Yes. He quickly did become a manager in the mid-60s, but he first was a wrestler, and he started at a young age. I think he was only 16 or 17 when he got into the business. I always get this impression that he was a he was kind of a hustler, kind of, you know, work-for-his-money kind of guy. Like, yes. it was just like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to do this wrestling thing, and yep. whatever I got to do to make a buck. That's right? what it was. He loved the business. He yeah. wanted to do it, and he wanted to make money, obviously. I was working in uh, Indianapolis at the Coliseum. And I started sitting at the ring and carrying jackets and stuff like that. That's how I got involved. Uh, so, yeah, it was around 61 when he started, and I believe he became a uh, manager in 65. He wasn't initially the brain, by the way. He wasn't the brain immediately. He was pretty boy Bobby Heenan, and he used that persona as a manager. Did he say the mind or something? Bobby the mind? I, I, feel I like think I, so. I feel like I saw some old promo. It's like it just throw away. I'm the mind. I'm the brain. Whatever. That's possible. Yeah. Pretty much immediately, though, upon becoming a manager, he dubbed his stable the Heenan family. And uh, in 1969, he started the pretty good run that he had in the AWA. That was yeah. a big deal, that run. I he, mean, his AWA, that's what got him in WF. That's like why yes. he was such a prized prospect right. like, when they went to town and they did the thing. You right. know? I would hate to be in Vern Gagne's shoes. Every day of his life, he's torn apart inside. He walks up and down the streets. He goes to airports. People don't even know who he is anymore. 
So 69 to 79 was his first AWA run, a 10-year run. And Vern was doing well that mm-hmm. decade. He was Vern did very well in the 70s. But I mean, Bobby the Brain was with like Nick Bockwinkle, like top guys, yes. not like bullshit. No, right? no. Yeah. Bobby was with, uh, he had been with the, the Blackjacks, especially uh, Lanza. He really helped get Lanza over. But yeah, he was with AWA world champion Nick Bockwinkle. That's a big deal. Right. Because, he already had his world champion. Right. A lot of people forget that. This is 70s AWA, okay? If this was 1987 AWA, I wouldn't care. Nobody, but, care. Nobody cares if it's the Lake Minnetonka AWA. But as Ruby Vasquez will tell us, 70s AWA, that title, is that's on par. That's on par with the other ones. Yeah, I mean, still. When, they would rank, when they would say the world champions in wrestling magazine. I mean, that one matter. magazine or whatever it was. Don't call I didn't, them I didn't the, say after mags. You so, just did. Well, I didn't say, yeah, I'm saying I didn't say it, so it doesn't count. Let's ask Bill. Don't call them the aftermags. Nevertheless, Bobby Heenan was uh, very much the top manager in the AWA. And because of that, he was managing the top guy, the top heel, I guess, in the AWA. But he managed other people. He managed, uh, like I said, uh, the Blackjack. He also managed Ken Patera. Yeah. In <laughs> AWA. I don't know why anybody would make that choice, but... <laughs> to say it what, what's your problem well okay Don't you, so, like Patera? you know the heel one is fine i guess i guess it's fine with yeah bobby, the heel but one it, i just i don't know i always think of the whole bobby and you know oh richard simmons edition yeah. like you know that oh, crap uh he managed ray steven who you and i really like love ray steven yeah, with yeah ray stevens we're just making fun of pat in case yeah. you don't understand folks ray steven <laughs> and then he actually went to the nwa for a little bit in 79 for like a year down in old east territory Georgia. <laughs> Why would you do that? Anything Oli related is not good. First of all, I'd like to talk about something more important. Something that I'm concerned about. And that's Killer Carl Cox, the Georgia heavyweight champion. You know who he managed down there? A couple of notable people. He managed the big cat Ernie Ladd. Okay. That's, that's pretty that's good. definitely good. He managed Mass Superstar. Remember who that one is, Quinn? Mass Axe. Superstar. Yes, it's Axe. Yeah. You got it. Not Mr. Wrestling number two or no, whatever. different guy. So confusing. And he brought uh, Blackjack Lanza down there. He was really good friends with Lanza. Went back to the AWA from 79 to 84. Probably the run that people remember him the, the most. The right? real most notable one. Yeah. Once again, managed Bockwinkle there. And also uh, was instrumental in that feud. He was already feuding with Hogan. <laughs> in the AWA. Of course he was. Because of the Bockwinkle feud, yeah. right? What are you doing here, Bobby Heenan? What are all those guys coming in the ring jumping my men? What's the idea of this? What's the idea of Hulk Hogan coming in and sneaking up on my men from behind? Who does he think he is? By the 80s, I mean, this is the Bobby Heenan that would make it to the WWF. This is the show that um, definitely Vince wanted to acquire. The Hulk Hogan versus Bobby the Brain Heenan's guy thing. And you know like, who else with Mean Gene in the middle, in the midst yeah. of everything? Because yeah. oh, 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 oh. Bobby the Brain, <laughs> yeah. give me a break. So that whole thing. And then, of course, he goes to the WWF in the fall of 84. He was supposed to manage, and a lot of people know this, Jesse Ventura. Which Man, that makes sense. I, I actually don't even remember that, but that's fine. Because he never did. Yeah. Because Jesse, Agent Orange. Yeah, remember? Agent, yeah, the whole thing. Jesse, I mean to say, I don't remember any rumors about it. That's oh, all. No, it's, that's known. Uh, Jesse couldn't wrestle. It was actually advertised, I think, for a match at MSG, and Fink had to announce, like, Jesse Ventura can't be here. So, your favorite Quinn took his place, and that would be Big John Stud. <laughs> That's how Bobby wound up, you know. I feel like the one thing, yeah. when Bobby first came in, yeah. he kind of had shit. Like, John Stud. Missing Link. Yeah. Like, it's like, what? He's also- lower than Bobby deserves at the, at the very beginning. It's true. He it's also- only for, like, a couple months that he, like, starts to pick it up. He also briefly had Adrian Adonis and Buddy Rose and stuff like that, but it's this is all, like, pre-real yeah. brain, brain, you know, yeah. stuff. I see those people be pawned off to, like, Jimmy Hart and shit. Right. 
one of the best people that he had in the early run besides Stud, I guess is the best he had was uh he had Paul Orndorff when Orndorff turned heel. Right. So and that, that was, a that big was deal. definitely a big one for him. That was the first like, okay, Bobby's got like main event guys now. Yeah. And I guess Bundy. Bundy right. would be the other one. Yeah. Again, but, why? Why? What is this exchange with Jimmy? Jimmy Hart didn't like traded for Adonis or something with Bobby. It's, it's real, really weird. Yeah, Bobby had Adrian and Jimmy had Bundy, and they Honestly, had a though, trade. You know, Adonis makes just goes with Jimmy Hart so much. Like that seems like a guy. Jimmy yeah. Like, yeah, baby, Adrian Adonis. You know, like right. that, just like you could see him like lobbying for that. Right. And I think Bobby's probably better for Bundy. Although Jimmy would have been fine, but Bobby and Bundy is a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, it's a good good switch there. Yep. Well, when they brought in Harley Race, Bobby managed him. Mm-hmm. Bobby also managed Hercules Hernandez. So now he's starting to get kind of a stable. I mean, punchy Hercules, notwithstanding, but <laughs> yeah. definitely King Race is like a, a big, big one. Yep. And the biggest thing that he did, the probably most important thing he did as a manager in the WWF is manage Andre the Giant. Yep. So this is a, three. So this is a big surprise. I kind of like the build up to this is like basically that machine shit is going on. <laughs> yes. And then like what something like Andre goes away. But like you're not, it's, it's like suspended. It, but, but it's re- big machine goes away, not Andre, right? No, giant machine goes away. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's the one that's it's the machine version goes away, right? And he comes back yes. with the hair, like it's cut, <laughs> and then he's like very, he's very like stern. Remember? Yes, and then, I remember. Yeah, it's, I'm I, just I, laughing. I just like all of that because it's like the whole how it comes along. It's like Bobby who hated Giant Machine like a ton, and Andre previously. All of a sudden, of course. after he's suspended, Bobby's like a he. He want. He's like, I oh, want him back. I I'm, want him back. Yeah, it's like I want to bring him back, and you're like, what? Why, Why would you want to bring him back? You, right. did, you did all this shit to get rid of him, and then he comes back, and he's with Bobby, and everyone's like, oh, oh. fuck, and like this is like where it sinks in, where you realize, oh man. Bobby's got Andre the Giant. Yep. He's going to destroy everything. Like, he's going to, like, he's going to win the world title, like, easily. Right. And he, he rips the uh, crucifix off of Hogan on Piper's pit. Right. You know, you blading all that stuff. He can, Bobby does the job of convincing Andre that he's been denied the title all these years. Yeah. Like, he's never got, it's like, hey, Andre, it's like, now that you're with me, you know what I noticed? You never fought for the belt. Right. Like, what's that about? Are they ducking you? Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, he yep. puts this into Andre's brain. And he's like, I got a title. I want the whistle man out. Yeah. And it's not like Bobby likes Andre. He just hates Hogan, and he th- sees Andre as someone that can win the gold. Well, That's I, not, all it not is. Not just win the gold, win it easily. Yeah, right, right. You know, right. To, to Bobby, it's like, it's like fast cash, right? It's like right. a get-rich-quick scheme. Because yeah, it is Sanford and Son. Yeah. Because here in 87, Bobby has had zero belts yet in the right. WWF. But this Andre thing, this is foolproof. He, he doesn't even need to win the Intercontinental Tag no. Belt. He can just straight to the top, Str- get the world title. And of course he doesn't. And then yeah, I love- <laughs> this, okay, this whole thing, right? For weeks, and this is start to me. This is the beginning, also of like prime time Bobby, because like around this time, comedic right? Bobby. Like yes. he gets that memory. He's like, I've already like gotten the belt made for yeah. Andre because it's not going to fit him. The he's regular one. Yeah. He's like, and he displays it on prime. He gets so confident. It's like Hulk Hogan. Like, and honestly, as a fan, you're like, there's no way like Hulk Hogan can like it's Andre the Giant. Like he never fought. He he's never, never lost, lost ever. ever. Like, you know? Literally never. Yeah. Definitely but never I mean, lost. As a fan, you, yeah, I know. You, I know. You, you're, you're, that's mostly true. Unless you read the Observer, I'm sure right. Meltzer was like, well. Well, actually, yeah. the, the point is, is that on WFTV, Andre the Giant yes. has never, ever lost in yes. the history of ever. That's right. Yeah. That's so, the story. So it's like, this is a foregone conclusion. It was almost like, it almost felt like a formality, WrestleMania 3, right? I guess so. Yeah. And then, of course, Bobby. <laughs> so Bobby gets to WrestleMania 3. He's yep. got the white suit on. Yep. He's like, this is going to be it. This is my moment. 
Yep. And Andre loses like a big fucking idiot. And, and, and Bobby just I devastated. Remember, one of my favorite things is at the very end of that match. This is such a good Bobby thing, right? Is Andre is like on the little cart thing pointing like, I'll, go, I'll, I get, I'll, I'll get you. I'll get you next time. Yeah. Like he's fucking like, King, like he's fucking King Cobra or something. Right. Like as he's like yeah. fading into like falling into a hole. Right. Yeah. And like Bobby's just on the back of the cart with his hands in in his face in his hands, like weeping, weeping. <laughs> No coat on into the, the tails. Yeah. That, remember? And he's just cr- like practically like, how could like, what the fuck? Right. Like, I, like I had it like I, this. This was a foolproof plan. Like, how could this happen? And right. like all at the same time, everyone's like pelting garbage. Yeah, it's great. Like, it, it's, it's just, and, and gorilla. Yeah. There go the losers. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> because Bobby acting like a complete fuck on primetime going into this forever. Yeah. And like gorillas in all his. There go. <laughs> like it's so amazing. Like it to is. me, this is the first like ultimate fail with Bobby. Yep. There go the losers. Look at Bobby the brain heated. Andre still extremely upset. It, to me, this is Bobby's career trajectory. Always, it's this big build up for months and months and months. Just and this, like just fucking nothing. absolute failure, right? But he does. Uh, he does soldier on. Does Bobby Heenan, and he still has Andre with him. But he, uh, the, the whole thing with DiBiase happens, which we don't need to get into. He gets Andre back after he WrestleMania sells it for four. a million dollars, and then he yeah. buys it back for a hundred thousand. Gets a nice profit, nine hundred thousand dollar profit. Yep, very good. So now Bobby's flush. Yep, and he has Rick Rude by this time, and Rick Rude becomes Bobby's first champion at WrestleMania five when he upsets the Ultimate Warrior. And, and I want to point this out: is that um, it, I thought it was well done how they um, they basically acted like Rick Rude. The whole time you're like, he gets Rick Rude, and you're like, why is this guy like, why is Bobby investing so much? Right. Like, Bobby acted like from day one, like, Rick Rude is the fucking man. Right. Like, yeah, you, yeah. Don't, you don't even know. Like, right. it's like, this guy is the diamond in the rough, right? right? Like, and he's proven right. Yeah. Like, Rick Rude wins the IC title. Yes. He beats the Warrior, the unstoppable Ultimate Warrior. So finally, Bobby has gold. Now, around the same time that Bobby had had the Islanders, he didn't really do much with them, but that right. had already happened. But around the same time, he's also got another new team, the Brain Busters. Right, uh, uh, with his name on them. Yes. And this is, again, another Bobby. This, to me, is the, the, the 1989 Bobby, the year of Bobby the Brain, right? Right, because the Brain Busters upset Demolition in July of 89, and now Bobby has both the tag and the Intercontinental Going belts. Going into SummerSlam, and yes. we all know what happens there. Yeah, he loses the IC there in a fantastic match against uh, Ultimate Warrior. Now, all the while, while this is going on, mm-hmm. this is another big part of Bobby the Brain, this whole shit on fucking primetime has escalated, right? Like, right. like now, like, like the, the during the Red Rooster incident, Ugh. like Gorilla got hit by the the chair or whatever. <laughs> yep. Like, so he pissed him off, and then Roddy Piper comes in and he's like, I'm a dog, I'm a dog. And like Bobby's like, I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> and so he like gets like an extra studio. He gets like Studio he gets, B. He gets Piper banished to the Studio B, and then like. Bobby hatches a scheme where he'll have somebody like attack him, like Rick Rude attack yeah. him in Studio B. One of the best angles. So then after this, Bobby's like, they're like, no more you on the fucking Studio A. And then yeah. Bobby gets thrown into Studio B. <laughs> and then Bobby says, you know what? Fuck you all. Like, I'm going to start my own show. Yes. And then the Bobby the Brain Heenan show, and that Jameson comes in. Like, <laughs> like basically, a lot like of this, stuff. to me, this whole like 89 period, this is like the embellishing of right. the Bobby the Brain character. It's like, here's all this 
crap. Right. All the while, like, Andre's afraid of snakes and, like, has problems with the Ultimate Warrior. There's the Red Rooster, like you said. Yeah. Brooklyn Brawler, Bobby and then, manages. And then by the end of this year, the, the Colostomy Connection wins the tag titles. Right. So, yeah. so even though Demolition regains them from the Busters in the fall of 89. Bobby gets revenge. That's right. In December, Andre and Haku win the tag titles. They ride that wave all the way to WrestleMania 6, where obviously Andre paintbrushes Bobby after the Colossal Connection loses. Right, Bobby gets all mad at Andre. Yep. It's like, I'm the boss. Yeah, I'm the fucking boss. <laughs> yeah, that whole shit. Hey. It- Now Bobby's lost Andre. Like, what the fuck? He's screwed. Like, He's Gorilla's screwed. like, oh, you screwed it up, Brian. Like, on primetime. The primetime after that is really funny. Where, where Gorilla just, Bobby's just, like, devastated. It's like, he's lost Andre. The, like, how could it get any worse than right. this? He's got, like, the Barbarian. Like, that's spent a lot of money. Yeah, he spent a lot of money on that. Right. It's like, but the Barbarian's not going to, like, cut it. He really needs, like, a new thing. And boy does he find it because he finds Mr. Perfect yes. like toiling away in the Intercontinental title tournament he's like this guy's fucking perfect and yep. like he literally. literally yeah he literally like he strolls in in the finals and the most Bobby shit ever like of course he like just uh, he just shows he, up he knows Perfect's in the finals yep. he just gets him and now he helps him beat Tito Santana and now he's got the Intercontinental title again so now he's got Perfect he's got Rude he's got Barbarian he's got Haku nice little stable there they decide to make fun of the big boss man's mom in the fall yeah, but of that, that actually works out for them because they <laughs> boss man just utterly fails <laughs> WrestleMania seven. Yeah, so they ride that all the way to WrestleMania seven. By which point, Rude is of course gone, and now Bobby's a broadcast journalist, and he's already been now a broadcast journalist. And as we've talked about on the flush with Coach, Bobby just misses the end of Perfect's run because in June of ninety one, he officially retires from managing, but not so fast because. I yes. want to point out one other thing here because yep. Bobby has one more managing thing mm-hmm. where he manages from the sidelines. Ric Flair. Yes. Ric Flair. Yes. So this whole yes. title thing, right? Ahead, yes. So Bobby, right? After all, all of this bullshit with the Andre mm-hmm. and he fucked all that up, right? And now, oh, I'm a broadcast journalist and you think Bobby's just gone, right? Mm-hmm. Then at like SummerSlam, all of a sudden he shows up. He's got this other world title. You're like, what the fuck belt is that? Right. If you're a WF fan. And if you're an NWA fan, like, oh, yeah, shit, you know that's what like, that is that's already. NWA belt. Right. Bobby's got a world champion from another league. Yeah. So he has Ric Flair, and he actually does manage Ric Flair. This is not always talked about, but he w- went to ringside with him in the beginning of the run. Right. Like September and October. Then he was like, Vince, I can't do this anymore. Right. The reason Bobby had retired was of a lingering neck injury for eight years. That's mm-hmm. why he just, he was in pain. He's like, I'm done with this. And he didn't want to keep up with Ric Flair's lifestyle, which not many people can yeah. to begin with. But he did, man- he was Ric Flair's manager. Right. He came out of retirement. It's just not ever talked about for some reason. So that's where they sent Kurt Hennig out there with Flair instead. Right. But Bobby was still supposed to be his manager the whole time. They and, just didn't call him that. Yeah, and this is this is what I love is that Bobby goes out of his managering as we get to the end of Bobby's managing career yeah. with the world champion. He had the world champion. It's just that he managed from the booth and stuff like that. Yeah. And he had he had the title of financial advisor. Right. He was his manager. It's awesome. His business manager. And Kurt Hennig was like his ringside manager. Right. That was the pairing. And obviously Royal Rumble ninety two and yeah. WrestleMania eight. And I I would say like that the WrestleMania eight law Loss is kind of the Bobby's that, not really. That's, that's Bobby's not a manager anymore, and he doesn't. He's not as invested in Flair after that. Yeah, like he still a little bit is. Yeah, through the rest of '92, and he does accompany Flair to ringside at a house show. I believe in January of '93. 
against Bret Hart. Yeah. There's a fan cam of it, and Bobby's there with Flair, like, one last time, just maybe because they yeah. knew Flair was leaving. Yeah, exactly. Once Flair's officially gone, Bobby's just, like, a goof, and, yeah. you know, the downfall of Bobby's storyline. Yeah, which but we've gone like, on to. It has nothing to do with his managing, no. so I don't think it counts, right? No. So that's his managerial career in a nutshell. Uh, we have to rank, and this is going to be interesting for Fuji Quinn, because let's run down the list one more time, okay? And number one is Albano. Two is Jimmy Hart. Three is Jim Cornette. Four is Sherry. Five is Paul Heyman. Six is Paul Bearer. Seven is JJ. And eight is Slick. I think we got to start Fuji against Slick, right? Yeah. They're like the same tier. So here's the thing. Yeah. I like Fuji better because. In Whoa! The, no, so there, well, there, there's a reason. He's more successful. <laughs> yeah, he's he more. Is. A, he's more successful. And B. The 5K, the Don Morocco, the, the cooking for the single man, like yeah, but all this Slick's shit. funny too. To me, Slick had one weird like side thing with the music video, which was pretty hilarious also. And Deepest Darkest Africa, Deepest. which is not racist at all. <laughs> but Fuji kind of has all these other side th- He was like known for his side shit. Like, on, he, and like, he's funny. Yeah, Fuji and Fuji was like lasted longer. He had the world champ, the tag champions. That's like, true. He know? did have some belts uh, and Slick never did. Yeah. We have to put, you know, again, not everything is about the kayfabe success, but part of it is, you know, because someone was saying about Albano and we weighed the fact that he had champions as why he's number one. That's not why he's number one. It's not just that. No, it's because he's a fucking innovative talker and he was fun, even if you don't like to listen to him. And he found Cindy Lauper or whatever. He did. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, back to Slick. Fuji sucks at talking compared to Slick. Let's be honest. Slick is a much more entertaining talker. You know what it is that's interesting about Mr. Fuji? I feel like he parlays his not talking into like a strength like yeah, he acts like because it's like his gimmick is like oh he doesn't have to talk much he's so devious he's always like doing something right yeah and he's kind of funny in the way that he can't talk it's it's sort of part of the charm well, of mr he, fuji every fuji promo is like him leaning into the camera at like a sideways angle like and i tell you that next time sci-fi. that's like yeah. every fuji promo and some for some reason they are entertaining yeah i don't know what terrible. i don't know how it's just like his cadence which is a very good yeah like you know like that whole like and you're like man this guy's up to something like he never right. he never says what he's gonna do and like sometimes he gets a little celebratory with the like ha ha ha, ha. <laughs> that good. yeah uh, but do you think though quinn what does Slick have on Fuji besides talking? Does Slick have anything else on him besides promo well, ability? Obviously his style, but um, <laughs> other than that. Fair enough. And um, dancing ability. Yeah. Other than that, though, let's be honest. I mean, kayfabe success, Fuji had a lot more of it. Oh, yeah. Fuji had the world champion. He had tag champions. He was he was around longer, I guess. Well, yeah. You, you know what? Here's the thing. is Also, Fuji had a collection of junk. Just like, so did Slick, just so. like Slick. That's well, the thing. Both Slick, of them had a collection of crap. Slick's worst was probably the Warlord. Kamala, maybe. Yeah, Kamala Face Edition. Yeah. But Fuji had some crap also. <laughs> yeah. Killer Khan. He was awful. Yeah, Killer Khan sucked there. Fu- uh, Slick's best was the Twin Towers. Yeah. Fuji's best was Demolition. Or Yokozuna. Whoever, Yokozuna. Yeah, whoever you want to pick. Or Morocco. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's like three good yeah. people. Yeah, you know what? Fu- Fuji way better. Now... The J.J. Dillon conundrum, this piece of crap here. <laughs> I don't think Fuji's better than him. Yeah, I... Unfortunately. Because well, J.J. Dillon, he can talk. Mm, Let's be fair. Mm, I know you don't like his talking, but mm, he does sound good. 
Shut up. He does he's sound fine. good. <laughs> Will you give JJ some no, damn he's credit crappy. here? crappy. It's not that good. What, do you, I don't know what, what, what is good about it? I'm going to tell it. Shut up. From a kayfabe perspective, he had way more success. I mean, the four, he had like every single title in the entire company. Like, I know once. that. Like, no, that, I know. That, that, that's nothing to sneeze at there. Yeah, but he always came off to me like they would have been fine without him there. Regardless. <laughs> <laughs> well, they weren't when Hiro Matsuda was there, right? Yeah, to me, it's always the point. You always got to bring up the Hiro Matsuda incident. Rename in the stable. Which proved that J.J. Dillon was way like, actually valuable. I'll give you that one. Oh, but it, it took bringing in a piece of shit to yeah. prove that J.J. was good. Who's a better character, though? Oh, Mr. Mr. Fu- Fuji. Mr. Fuji's hilarious. Like, and then, yeah. but you know what the thing is about Mr. Fuji? I will say this. JJ's funny in his own right. He um, is. I agree. But I feel like you you can tell that JJ's attempting to be funny. I don't think Fuji's trying to be funny. I don't that. know. Yeah, it's I, one I, of those I, things. I think it's like uh, completely unintentional. It's like um Jerry Stiller, you know, uh, Frank Costanza. Yeah, where, where his, you're like, I think he really believes this shit. Yeah, like, like you, you know, can't tell if if he know if he's aware of how funny he is. You right. know what I mean? With Fuji, he's just yelling like, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, like no, in Nawa, Shiyo. Which means, this guy, this is not my kind of guy. Ah, man. Oh, Fuji not better than Dillhole? This is upsetting. (laughs) He wouldn't have been better than Paul Bear. I know that. As an overall manager, I guess not. I mean, Bear didn't have as much success kayfabe-wise as Fuji, but I think Paul Bear is a more captivating talker. Yeah. And I think he's underrated. I, I don't think know. We can give the nod to JJ. Uh, JJ and Fuji are like interchangeable to me. Is like, there they're any- very they're very interchangeable? Okay, let's just do this real quick here as an experiment. What is JJ better at than Fuji? In all seriousness, from like a success perspective, I think if that if the, the management thing, like, we but can't, not by much. No, Fuji had the world like, champion also and tag it, champions. I think it's the JJ thing is impressive because it's all at once. Yeah, but what did he have to do with that except stand there and be annoying? Somebody had to pick up their bags and book the matches and get the hotels. I mean, those are expensive hotels. That's true. They're pretty exclusive. You can't just just, like roll in. Roadside, yeah. Remember that fucking, the one in the, also the whole JJ with the like, let me watch thing. It's so dumb. Like, it's it's, it's actually like an all-timer silly thing. Now, Fuji, on the other hand, couldn't even pronounce his world champion's name correctly. Yeah. JJ so, knew the names of the guys he, he managed. Knew, yeah, exactly. He didn't call him Nick Flair or anything it was like, like Buddy that. Landell and stuff like That's that. That's unfortunate. JJ is better at speaking clear English. It doesn't mean he's a better talker, though. I think Fuji's well, okay. a more entertaining so, talker. So here's the one thing. Fuji about, gets more. Fuji's involvement is always funny. He's got the, ceremonial uh, salt. <laughs> he, he always carries. carries. Now, the one thing about Fuji, and I know we've discussed this before, but I... I pretty sure that the accent was completely put on like, or at least half put on it's impossible because he like grew up in hawaii and he lived in america know, for like most american. of his life yeah like, i think I, he is american yeah like he lived strictly on, like, the american. mainland i mean yeah. in most most of his life right. not, not in hawaii right it's got yeah, like, but I, I nevertheless yeah i envisioned that like out of character he's just like hi i'm harry fuji like, uh, you know, hi, like, fuji. no not hi, even not hi, even hi, that. I'm harry fuji yeah just hi i'm harry fuji <laughs> welcome to the movie theater yeah, yeah. I don't know. I find I find Fuji highly entertaining versus JJ Dillon. I think JJ Dillon is an overrated, sweaty man in a suit, and I don't like him. Don't take this away from me. He's crummy. He, 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 we're talking about the bottom. He's here. a bag of cement. I think we are talking about the bottom. But I, I think want, JJ Dillon's okay. 
I, Why I, is he better than Fuji again, I think though? It's just like he just edges Malka's four horsemen, and no. that's, that's really it. Yokozuma like, and Demolition. Come yeah, on. It's icons. only two titles. This is this is three. Icons. Three titles, Jeff. Versus two titles. Yeah, but it can't all be about titles. It's not all about titles. Yeah, well, also, the fucking four horsemen. They don't... <laughs> you can't even argue with it. The, four, the okay, manager fine. of the four horsemen. Fine, like, are you kidding then me? Why is Paul Bearer better than J.J. Dillon? He didn't manage no horsemen. Undertaker. One word. Right Yokozuma, there. though. Come on, Yokozuma. <laughs> Don't even try to compare Yokozuma to the, under- the Undertaker. Demolition. And, like, also, Paul Bear's, like, devotion to, like, Demolition. the world of the Undertaker. Yeah, I know. Like, he was yeah, involved in like, the he, carpentry of the Undertaker. Yeah, like, I just mean that it's like he's in the, like, the, the completely, like, side universe that the Undertaker lives in. But Fuji teaches everyone the martial arts. That's fine. JJ makes sure that the bags are taken and. Just fuck it. I don't care. Fine. Fuji stays at number eight. I think it's fine. I can't come up with anything right now. I like Fuji better for the I, record. I actually don't think a lot of people will mind either way on that one. I know to me this isn't like this isn't a Jim Cornette situation. No, right. It's like I think we can just edge JJ a okay, little over. Yeah, I fine. I yeah. gotta pick my spots here. Raymond Lewis Heenan. Where are we starting him? We're not st- he's better than Slick. Better than Fuji. Better than JJ. Like he's better than Paul Bearer. Put him I, I against think Heyman. Let's put him against Heyman to start. Um, They're the same thing. Bobby's say, better at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bobby, he's Bobby the Brain Heyman. That's all it needs to be said. I mean, in all seriousness. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> it's like Paul Heyman. It, Paul Heyman's another like, oh, I just want to be like Bobby. Kind of, yeah. Basically. Now, look, when we say they're the same thing, I don't mean that literally, literally. But what I mean is they are the overconfident manager with money i'm talking kayfabe you know just smart thinks he has money or thinks he has money articulate yeah mastermind evil you know but likable and and funny yeah and Heyman's great that's why he made it as high as he did but bobby was almost an original i mean bobby Heenan was managing before lou albano for crying out loud we can't we have to i know you don't want to hear this but what classy freddie blassie was really the like original archetype of that was he even managing yet wasn't um, he a wrestler still? In the 60s? I don't know. I think he was still wrestling in the 60s. Well, still, I mean, but he was cla- he was always classy Freddie Blassie. He was always point. classy and he was always Blassie, yes. Yeah. But I don't know. But Wasn't he's- he only like 40 or something? <laughs> Remember this, like, the stupid, what? like, he looks like he's a thousand years old, but he isn't thing? Like, uh, no, he was old. Okay. He was old. But he, he didn't start, I want to make this perfectly clear to everyone. First of all, he didn't make the list anyway. Blassie didn't start managing until 74 I would like to remind you. That How Bobby is that Heenan, possible that Bobby the Brain has like a seven he year is, jump on him or whatever? He managed before literally everyone on this list. That's crazy. And he wasn't the oldest. Even he was, Captain Lou? Lou started managing in 70 or 71. Oh, wow. Lou wrestled until then. Huh. Blassie wrestled until 74-ish. That's crazy that he outlasts Captain Lewis. He, Bobby Heenan, was doing this a long time. Now, then again, you know, you and I aren't specifically familiar with his 60s career. No. I mean, I've seen his AWA stuff from the late 60s also and 70s. Also might be 70s. a technicality or something. But, like, you know, like, he wasn't really doing much. However, when it comes to him versus Heyman, Heyman's fantastic at what he does. Yeah. But you know what the thing I always like about Heyman is he puts his heart all into it. Like, it feels yeah. a lot more intense. Like, it feels like a... It feels like a fan, like, trying to be, like, do justice to the, like, right. Bobby the Brain Heenan archetype thing. Right. He's, like, really putting his all... Right. Now, Bobby... Probably with very few exceptions with people he personally didn't like in real life that he wasn't with long, like Missing Link and people like that, and Terry Taylor. Bobby put his all into everything also. 
into Rick Rude, into Andre the Giant, into Mr. Perfect, into Nick Bockwinkle, into the Black yeah, He's the original, too. It's just like, I don't know. You can't... If Heyman's imitating him already, it's kind of disqualifying him from being better. And one thing that we, we really didn't talk about much, and I'm sorry for not bringing it up about Bobby, is... The hateability. I mean, he was often oh my god the most hated guy in the and then company. Put him in the whistle suit. Yeah, and put him in the whistle suit against did, Greg Gagne and Warrior he, he did later. That like a million times, yeah. and like people loved it. That was one of the great things about Bobby is he would get people so pissed off that he could also go in the ring and then get his comeuppance. Well, one of my favorite parts about Bobby too is the fact that he could go in the ring led to also the fact that he would say, "Well, I'm a really good wrestler. I just don't do it because yeah. I'm too smart for that." Right. To me, that would always be a great thing when, like, Bobby would go on and on about how, you know, they, they listen to me because I know how to wrestle. I'm yeah. the smartest wrestler, <laughs> right. too, right? Yeah. But, like, he never backs it up in the ring, and then when he does, he just loses like a big idiot. Yep. Like, you know, like, and, and all this, like, t- him talking shit about how, oh, well, he could be, you know, he could be fucking Hulk Hogan if he wanted to yeah. single-handedly, and it's just all bullshit. Because, right. like, he gets in the ring and he just looks like a complete idiot. Yeah. And the thing about Bobby is he sold uh, taking an ass kicking like nobody else. He begged off and, and pleaded for his life like nobody else. I mean, right. this guy, he was just a natural at this stuff. And then the crowd ate it all up. And uh, Paul Heyman was very good, but Bobby's clearly better mm-hmm. overall as a manager. Yep. Now, Sherry. I mean, I love look, Sherry. I know no one's Bobby's better than Bobby's her, better than Sherry because but I love Sherry so much I, she, I just want one more unique. nod to sensational yes. Sherry here because we won't be able to do it again right my goodness it's just that is a manager that gets better and better with age like when you yeah. look back at the stuff the like, more you look he, back it's like oh it's so good and that's the to me that's the that's the x factor that Sherry has on this list is that she she seemingly seems to be better when you look back at yeah. it and, like every successive year you're just like how do we just think of her as this like side weird thing we like, just didn't get it i guess yeah, right she's just very good she's very very good so bobby versus Cornette. a lot of people <sighs> would auto- go with this a like, lot of people would automatically say bobby anyway right some people would say Cornette. uh it's bobby i think in my it's mind 100 bobby the brainy i think that Cornette is very very good i've said this before i, I mean i i feel like i'm not a good judge here i think this is all you to officially say because everyone no you don't like Cornette. but but also everyone now like because i put jimmy <laughs> I, I fought for jimmy hard above jim Cornette. they're yeah. like oh you just hate jim Cornette. it's not that it's just like man that wf stuff was utter it was bad jimmy, garbage as like, i pointed out jimmy hart's wcw was really bad also yeah but it was also like i guess my the difference to me is that he was still Jimmy Hart when he was in when Cornette was in WF? He kind of was like this weird. It was neutered, show yeah. and like not the same. I don't know. That's like, true. It's like Jimmy Hart. It just was Jimmy Hart and WCW with like less good people. Right. That was Bobby ever bad though. No. I mean, really. No. Bobby's always good. Bobby and it's sold not like Bobby stuff. didn't go to multiple organizations. Right. He even was, if you don't even count WCW, I'm saying like yeah. No. Well, Sam yeah. Sam Mushnick is uh, one of the promoters. That hated having heel managers for whatever reason, and you know, in St. Louis, and even he brought Bobby in because he knew how good he was. I mean, Bobby went to places. He Bobby went had to a Memphis. reputation. Yeah, like people were like, "This guy, he could sell it for." That's what he was. He was a salesman. Even if, even if you hate heel managers, it's like this is this is the best one you could possibly get, and it's it's right. He's amazing, and the he reason will add to your show, right? And now we're in besides Jimmy Hart with these other guys like Cornette and Albano and Bobby Heenan. And maybe Jimmy Hart, I guess. I still think he's too high. Baby, baby. But we're in a position now where these are all very, very, very good managers. I know people don't agree about the Lou Albano thing. That's fine. But Albano was like a... His heyday was the 70s and 80s. To me, you know? with Albano, I think if you were a wrestling fan in the 70s... You I bet you there the was... Guy. No, but I want to say this. I think 
if you were a overall wrestling fan of the multiple organizations, you read the, the the magazines that would tell you about both. Yeah, you would think to yourself, "Man, who's a better manager, Lou Albano or Bobby the Brain?" Heenan? Right, because like, they were at the they, same they were time, neck, and neck, right? And they were at the same time. Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, though, the thing with Lou, this is it's unfortunate, and I, I'm sorry to Jimmy Hart, no. but Bobby the Brain is definitely no, going to jump him. He is, and I, so so Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette would admit. Bobby the Brain is better than him. I think everyone here might. Um, and, yeah. the, and, and for the record, the reason Bobby is better, I think, is not only did he have the longevity. I mean, I know Cornette, Cornette managed a long time, Jimmy and, and Lou did. But Bobby was the ultimate salesman when mm-hmm. it came to just put getting it all across. getting to put it, it all together. Yeah, to put it all together. He got it across articulately if he needed to. He could play it insanely. He could be vicious. He could be comedic. He could be scared. Every different aspect, the whole spectrum of emotions Bobby could play. He could be overconfident. All of it. He could do it all. And he did it in a way where people always wanted to see him get his ass kicked. He always was able to draw heat, and he always entertained you. And Albano is the closest analogous. Yeah, that being said, I think we need to do a proper, before we finalize here. Yeah. Lou Albano, the thing, the point I want to make about him is that I think the reason that he doesn't elevate above Bobby the Brain Heenan is just timing, meaning that when his career ended, it was like right at the boom, like right at it, it. was, and he didn't get to enjoy the post, like as the boom went along yeah. till the till the end of the nineties or the, the end of the the eighties. By the end of the eighties, uh, he was gone. Yeah, he was Mario. Yeah, <laughs> literally, and good for him because no, he, no, no, he saw opportunity outside of the WF, Correct. and he said, "You know what? Uh, I've done this for like." 30 years or something right. like I'm done with this shit and like on it Bobby the brain kind of just kind of took the mantle up yeah and they, they did the same thing they just did it for different companies yeah you know like what I mean is when when Albano was in his prime Bobby was in the AWA right doing the same thing and it just came to this point where it's like well Lou is leaving and Bobby's gonna just stay with this thing yep. and that's where Bobby kind of took the extra mile above yep. Lou he uh Everything he did at ringside made sense. What, yeah. His emotions and his reactions and the way he'd interfere or not interfere. It just his presence alone yeah. at ringside was like was something. And Albano is similar. It's and actually is similar, but yeah. yeah, it's actually it's just it's weird because like I personally watching the eighty twos especially. Yeah, I feel Lou is that Bobby the Brain Heenan character for me. Like when I watch right, it, it's yeah. like he's just that mainstay. He's like in every match yeah. and like. Bobby the Brain Heenan just kind of, like we said, he he became that. And uh, to me, it makes him better because it's just when he did it. When he did it, yeah. WrestleMania 3 is his greatest achievement. You know, it's not all about titles. WrestleMania 3 was the ultimate, you know, respect of how... And Royal Rumble 92. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I'm talking as a manager, just that ring, like, to to really sell... Yeah, you're right. He sold Rumble 92 also with the flair thing, but to, uh, to help draw heat to that feud and draw people to that match and everything that's a big deal and that cannot go understated i mean bobby heenan was hugely instrumental in that oh yeah and that's why vince paid him you know whatever his giant i think it was like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar payday for that or something oh, insane he deserved it he probably he drew most of the people in there he did i mean he worked with hogan he always had something going with hogan you know in terms of yeah. like a feud you know yeah. throughout the 80s it just worked bobby heenan number one 100 percent all right, well, that was kind of a foregone conclusion. But I think this list looks good. I know people well, have a big problem, but okay, just as a as a afterthought here, yep. I want to say something to everyone about the Jimmy Hart, Jim Cornette situation. Yes. 
if it's really that much of a problem, just flip them in your head. Yeah, like, I flip to be, I think it's either way because I think Jim Cornette is so hampered by the WF. Right. I think other people might say the same thing as they did on the board. Some people were saying, yeah, I actually think because of Jim Cornette, the WF work is what brings him to number four. Right. You know? No, I know. So. If it were me, before we do the official rundown, I'd probably have Bobby at one, Cornette at two, then Albano, and then Jimmy Hart. But because we put Jimmy Hart above Cornette, I had to make Albano number one. Yeah. That honestly, I mean, I would probably have Bobby, Cornette, Albano, and Jimmy Hart, and maybe even flip Sherry into number four instead of Jimmy because I what? I love Sherry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that's uh, that's neither here nor there. If you're wondering who didn't make it, folks, here's the first four names that didn't make it. Okay. Gary Hart just missed it, and I know some people wow. were campaigning for him, but he didn't get enough votes. I'm, I'm okay sorry. With that. <laughs> I like him though. Fred Blassie. Yeah, so this is weird because everyone seems to love it. I don't love him anyway. I don't either. (laughs) We've watched enough to know. Robert Parker. Robert Fuller. Robert Parker is super underrated. That's a guy I love. He just missed it and Miss, Miss Elizabeth actually just missed it really? also. Yeah. Well, how that's the sentimental value. I guess so. Cause she, Miss Elizabeth did a lot with nothing. Yep. Uh, and Grand Wizard just missed it as well. Hey. Below it. <laughs> and Sonny was right below him. Oh, mm. I love Sonny. She's usually below. Anyway, uh, so let's, <laughs> let's officially run it down, folks. The rankings are over. It is official for this season. The greatest managers of all time. Quinn at number one. I mean, it was a foregone conclusion, but it is Bobby the Brain. Hell yeah. There you go. Number two, Captain Lewis Albano. I'll, I'll call him Lewis for this. He's Lewis for this. Right here. Number three, the mouth of the South, the Colonel, Jimmy Hart. Good, good, solid ranking. Yeah. yeah. If you want to flip him in your minds, folks, with number four, Jim Cornette. Yep. I, neck and neck, as far I, as I I'm concerned. You flip him if, yeah. you, if you so choose. If you so choose. Number five, Sherry Martell. What a ranking for yeah. Sherry still. It's very stunning. Five. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's she very is. good. She really is. Number six, Paul Heyman. Very fair, I think. Very fair, very big. Uh, very big, very large. Uh, number seven, Paul Bear, also very fair, because I think he's underrated overall. I love that the Pauls are next to each other. Yeah, yeah. why not, right? The two fat Pauls. Uh, number eight, J.J. Dillon should be at the bottom. Excellent, excellent He ranking. sucks. Gary Hart is better than him. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he is. Get out of here. Shut up. Uh, number nine, Mr. Fuji. That good. That good. And number ten, the Slick Star. That is the Royal Rankings, folks. It. it is over. If you want to vote in next season's Royal Rankings, by the way, that's over on the Facebook group. Joe Markle is handling that. If you want to be a part of the WWF Tag Team Champions for next season, you can. But Quinn, when we come back, we are not only going back in time, we are going to Canada because we've got to mm. see what's going on in Calgary. That's right. we got to see what's going on in Stampede Wrestling. That's right. That is coming up right after this. What I'm holding here is the belt that belongs to the real world champion. Oh, no, not Hulk Hogan. Presently, the man that owns this belt is under contract to another organization. But in the near future, he may be arriving in the World Wrestling Federation. If so, it would be my honor and privilege to be the advisor of this man. Now, you want to compare this belt to Hulk Hogan's? That would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You want to compare the man that wears this belt to Hulk Hogan? That would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You see... Hulk Hogan is the World Wrestling Federation champion. The man that owns this belt is the real champion, Ric Flair. And now, back to our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast.
And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. It is episode number 169. 169! Thank you, Michael. Uh, Michael, we had a, uh, a bumper we were playing until the recent unfortunate ending of the wrestling podcast about yes. nothing. Yes, so now we have to update our stuff. Yeah, so we'll be doing that. But uh, we have some friends of the show that we want you to check out. We have... The Book in the Territory podcast with Mike Mills and his crew. That's the Southern Fried Wrestling. Very Quinn. Southern Fried, very J.J. Dillon. Uh, yeah, right. And Gary Hart. Yeah, yeah, Gary Hart. A lot of grits, yeah. a lot of gravy, mm-hmm. a lot of barbecue, things like that. Very tasty. John Deere, things yeah. like that. But it's a really fun time. It is the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. It's our friend of the show. It's our Southern Fried brethren, Mike Mills and Book in the Territory. And there's also a one-man show. That is hosted by a quirky fellow. Very quirky. Named Peter Winson. Might see him on the boards every time. Yeah, GF Allentown. Yeah, that's what he's known by there. Yep. Uh, and that's greetings from Allentown. It is not from Allentown. He's from New England or something like that. And, oh, he's uh, not from Allentown. He's not no, even from for, there. Thanks for confirming. Yeah, just making sure that people know so there's yeah. no false advertising. Uh, but Petey has a good show because he'll take an episode of old wrestling. It could be anything. Right now he's doing UWF. And uh, he will just walk you through it. It's about an hour and a half, hour and 50 minutes, his show. And he'll just do the thing that uh, that only Petey can do, which is go through the show, give his thoughts and observations and tangents and stuff. It's a fun time. And our third friend of the show, check out the New Day podcast. Yeah, New Day, um, it's a solid show. It's, yeah, you it's, need to it's, check it out. It's, it's really up and coming. I think it's like... I think it's ranked on Chartable, like yeah. 533 right. or something. So you got to you gotta give that one Check them all out. the reviews. They need and the help. They need the support. They really so. do. So those are our three friends of the show. Book in the Territory, Greetings from Allentown, and the New Day Podcast. Check mm-hmm. them out. Check them all out. All right. Quinn, this is something that I've wanted to do for a while, this episode. Because I've it? seen it lingering around on YouTube. I was in the mood, folks, for something <laughs> that was black and white. Right. Something that was old. Something that was just homey and, uh, you know, just this good time feeling. Because last last week, uh, we needed Oof. a palate cleanser from oh the Wild West Wrestling. Wild West Wrestling. What a piece of shit. That was heinous. Yeah. That was really Heinously bad. Heinous. So I thought, well, Stampede Wrestling. Now, that can't be too bad, can it? And it probably can, but let's well, find usually out. usually Stampede Wrestling sucks balls. Like, remember the, the, the ones from, like, the 80s and stuff? They're horrible. Yeah, they're really bad. But Stampede Wrestling obviously was Stu Hart's promotion, folks. You know that it got founded in 1948. Yeah, Stu Hart Western Montana. That map that yeah. we uh, we need to find it exists eventually. It's somewhere out there. Yeah, so we're talking only a few years after World War II ended. Yeah, when the, you know <laughs> Truman was president. Good lord, Truman, 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 the so, Truman administration. Yes. How? How? Like. What is George Hackenschmidt involved? Like, I, <laughs> no. don't, I don't understand. Legend George Hackenschmidt. But obviously the famous Stu Hart of the famous Hart family with his 47 kids. He uh, started this promotion out in Calgary, of mm-hmm. course, where he was based. And he had been a wrestler. And he had actually retired from wrestling to do this promotion here. Think about that for a second. He retired from wrestling in 1948. Yeah, it's real. Isn't that crazy? That's <sighs> just insane. He ran this promotion until 1984 when a guy you might have heard of named Vince McMahon bought it from yeah, him. Oh, who's that? What? <laughs> Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Right. Uh, he purchased it mainly so he can get his hands on three very talented wrestlers. It was basically an expensive contract for three wrestlers. And that would, of course, be the Dynamite Kid, mm-hmm. the British Bulldog, and Bret Hart. And he did, obviously, utilize all three of those guys. It's not to- saying much when the entire promotion is worth, basically, <laughs> the contracts of three wrestlers. Just saying. True. Now, uh, Stampede was restarted by Bruce Hart in 1985, and he ran it into the ground until 1989. As, as you would expect from something run by Bruce Hart. It's not really a surprise. And then it was restarted again. Remember, we did one of the 1999 reboot ones oh, with young Mauro Ranallo on commentary. It's, and- uh, it's clear to me all the reboots are just 
basing off the fact that they can say this started in 1948, so yeah. it's old. So hard, like, hard, hard, hard. Yeah, it's like we can. That's why you yeah. should be okay with us bringing it back. And that ran until 08. But this is the original, folks. This is Stampede Wrestling, which I don't even believe, Quinn, before we get into this. I think Stampede wasn't known as Stampede Wrestling until 1967. So what is it here? I think it's Big Time Wrestling here, which was kind of a generic name that a lot of different promotions used at the time. Like heavyweight wrestling. It didn't say WF on on the show. Right, just just heavyweight or big time, things like that, you know? Uh, And I believe it was known as Big Time Wrestling during this period of time, but we're going to call it Stampede for the sake of simplicity. Because that's what it is, it's right? The lack of like organization era. It's yeah. just like it's just some. It's just wrestling. The wrestling yeah, it's show. Just the right? wrestling show in my area, <laughs> right? So, Quinn, let's just get into it and see what's going on here. This is Stampede Wrestling, April 29th, nineteen sixty one. This is real retro. <laughs> I think officially the oldest thing we've ever watched. Uh-huh. Right? What's next? Caveman wrestling with Ric Flair? Like, <laughs> I know. Is, right? Are we going to actually see the match where the cave painting was made off of? Like, <laughs> I would love to. Is that what's next? I guess so. Uh, we get a cold open here with a shot of the ring. We're of course in the Victoria Pavilion, where all the eighty stuff we've seen was filmed. All that that same place, the right? same exact that place, barn yep. or whatever it is, <laughs> essentially. And we hear the voice of a young, probably sober Ed Whalen here, the famous announcer of yeah. Stampede. He was an icon in his own right. Once again, good afternoon, everyone. We're bringing you Matt Time action from the Victoria Pavilion in Calgary. He looks old already. He here. does look old. You know how old he was? How old? 34. He's our he's age. Like balding. I know. He look. He like, would like, literally wear a toupee. Yeah, like, that's why I was confused. I think I, like, literally was thinking to myself, is this Ed Whalen? It absolutely is, yeah. but he's not as much of a character as he would become right. in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And all this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, in the ring is our first match already. It is John Fody taking on Gino Bob Morella. Yes, Gorilla. And he's like Gino from WrestleMania 1 here. He's not, he's not even Gorilla. And then the ring, Gino Bob Morella. So how about that Gorilla Monsoon? Yeah. What an OVP thing, right? Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon wrestling. Part of me thinks this is why you wanted to watch this one. Nevertheless, yeah. uh, both both guys here are decked out in uh, black trunks, short boots, no knee pads. Yeah, they're, they're like young boys in it's, Japan. It's, yeah, it's like everyone's like this in this show yeah. in general. Well, Gorilla said on one of his shows, one of his one of the reviews we did, like back in my day, you had three choices of trunks: red, green, or black. You yeah. remember that? And exactly. he wasn't kidding. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what's going on here. <laughs> now, Gorilla has hair full head of hair and he's like 24 he's very young he's very young circle to start lock up wrist lock by Fody. by the way ed whalen mentions that gorilla monsoon is putting up 650 dollars for this match so <laughs> this is the most gorilla monsoon thing ever a pot on the line actual numbers explained <laughs> yeah. i just want to clarify <laughs> so basically they explain that um, Gorilla yes. has an ongoing pot that has kept growing, right? Yes, correct. At this point, Gorilla has 600 bucks, right? Yeah, and this Fody fella. This Fody fella put 50 bucks in said pot, right. and that the winner gets the, the combined $650. Correct. So... Basically, there, there's also other rules, but that's t- it's explained like after the fact. It's amazing. Like, it's, it's just amazing that the like stampede economy exists here. Like, it's so good, right? Yeah. In 1961, I love it. That's uh, a, that, and they note that that's a big pot, which says to me. 
that I think we're just about right about the pot being like 25 bucks or something in See? championship in like 83 See? or something. There you if go. This is a big pot. This is a very big this pot. This is a, 600 bucks. <laughs> Circle side headlock by Foti here. Gorilla just calmly picks him up and sets him on the turnbuckles. Lockup, Foti grabs a headlock, but Gorilla quickly escapes as Whalen puts over Gorilla Monsoon's legit amateur background, which is kind of cool to hear. Morella, you're probably well aware, is uh, one of the all-time amateur greats of the United States. He then talks about the excellent crowd who are apparently crickets. <laughs> yeah. It's about as loud as an elementary school gym in here, which is not loud at all. Oh, yeah, it's know? very quiet. Yeah. But is that cultural maybe for the time with wrestling? I don't, I can't tell. Yeah, I, it's Stampede, so yeah, they don't follow the rules they, of the rest they, of culture. It's, it's Canada. <laughs> it's not the same. Western Montana, whatever. <laughs> Gorilla breaks out of a wrist lock, a uh, circle, ro- roll up by Fody for a two count that took like seven seconds for the ref to start. <laughs> the ref, he looks like a janitor, Joe. Like, <laughs> it's an know, old one. Extra janitor. <laughs> Very. And Wayland's like, neat takedown by Fody. Uh, both men up, grapple into the ropes and Gorilla with a clean break. And apparently, uh, Wayland says Gorilla weighs 280 pounds. That's it? Nowhere near 440. 440. <laughs> Truck stops and all that. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. This is well before the 440 days, eh? Yeah, we gotta say about Gorilla, like, he is not fat. Oh, no. He's big. Oh, he's, like, straight out of college or something. Straight shit. out of Compton. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he go to... He went to college, right? He's Ithaca. definitely... Yeah, Ithaca. He, he's, he's straight out of Ithaca right he, here. He is, seriously. And he is not fat, though. He's yeah. just big. He's mm-hmm. built, but he's not fat. Uh, the referee's name is apparently Thor Morgan or something, I swear. He's probably the actual Thor. He's so old, you know? <laughs> Lock up again. Full Nelson, but Fody cannot get the fingers locked. See, Gorilla knows. <laughs> fingers! It's real! Yeah. This is why Gorilla knows these things. He calmly escapes. Lock up Gorilla with a body slam from his knees. I feel like there's no real defined healer face here. Just some casual wrestling. I got that's that like feel what too. That's what I'm looking at. Like, Gorilla feels like he's not trying much, right? Like, he's just like, this Fody fella's trying yeah. all these things, and Gorilla's like, no. <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> get out of here. He's like studying his Ithaca books or whatever. <laughs> Whalen chuckles, uh, circle Fody grabs on an arm, but Gorilla powers out into a wrist lock, which we know he does know from a wrist watch, just to clarify. Very true. Uh, Fody tries to bring Gorilla down backwards, and (laughs) Whalen's like, look out, Nelly! Uh, No dice there for Fody. Suddenly, (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Stu Hart wanders over to commentary, and he immediately is wrong. He's like, it is $250 (laughs) in the pot now, Man, Younger Stu sounds more like the Wicked Witch of the West. It's like a high-pitched version. It's like, yeah, $250. Hey, my pretty. Like, you know, like, he, he sounds so weird. The money looks pretty safe uh, right at the moment, doesn't it? Oh, man. Uh, Foley goes for a snap mare, but Gorilla doesn't budge. Stu just continues to ramble crappy. To, hey, be, 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 be. Uh, he's so <laughs> horrible. Like, why is he on commentary? I don't know. It's I love so him. frustrating, it's so the whole good. show. I know. It's bad. Uh, five minutes are gone, uh, Whalen says. Side headlock by Foley off the ropes. Dropkick takes Gorilla down. Wow. Another dropkick sends Gorilla out of the ring, which mildly wakes the crowd up. And then quickly and suddenly, Gorilla Monsoon is counted out. Huh? What was that? Was uh, quick. That was out. Of, yeah, too. He kind of like what to do. Like it's just like like it's not ten seconds, right? Even like it's not even a regular ten seconds. <laughs> More like three seconds that the ref just like <laughs> beautiful drop kick. It's him again, and out he goes. Would you call that a miscarriage of justice? Oh, big. Mi- I, I'm surprised uh, Gilberto Roman wasn't the ref <laughs> on this one. Stu ca- clarifies now with Whalen. 
that Fody doesn't get the purse money because Gorilla had to be pinned. I guess right. close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. It's, it's very like title rules right. like, that Gorilla would always point out. Yeah. To. Again, mullet, this is the most Gorilla shit. Ever. Like, did he book this? Yeah. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, the logic with everything. This yeah. is like the Gorilla Monsoon origin story, this yeah. match. Seriously. Purse money, the way you have to win, like all these things. Yeah. Great fingers. Yeah. Uh, Stu's like, eh, it went about five minutes, eh? Uh, <laughs> Gorilla then yells into the mic. He's like, he won the match, but he didn't win the pot. It's, he's all mad. It's actually like scary. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, whoa, okay. Whoa. Like, he not won the match, but he didn't win the pot. Tom, you don't gorilla. want to see my finishing move like that whole thing. Like that's what I'm thinking through my head. The big splash of the gorilla. It's uh, bizarre that all his commentary led to this match feeling like just like oh well that makes sense after the, the years and years of him describing his wrestling career. Folks, it literally had everything that we talk about: a wrist lock from a wristwatch. Yeah. It had the full Nelson without the fingers lock. It had purse money. It had winning it a certain way. All the clarifications. It felt like somebody took Gorilla Monsoon commentary and filmed this, an actor playing Gorilla Monsoon, <laughs> and that they did like an origin, like, story, like a prequel to right. 80s WF. It's real. It's like, it could just called Gorilla. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, in some, script font. Somebody, I wish, you know what's, you know what, that's a good idea for a WWF series, where they take one character, and they get like an actor to play them, and it's like the origin stories of like all their wrestlers, that's like great. even from like the eighties, and it's like it's like they're like ten episode limited series, and oh, they just amazing. like and they just like explain and they use all the nuance of like for example, Gorilla's commentary. Yeah, they, right. they put it like literally. There's a scene where he's at a truck stop getting weighed, and he's four forty, like like all this shit. He's throwing dice in the casino, yeah. all these things. Yeah. Right? Uh, Waylon hops in in the ring now to talk to Ricky Waldo. Uh, Waldo comes in with his very festive sweater here to talk about his match that he had with Bulldog Brower. Ricky says it was a rough match last night, as now Stu wanders over in the background like he's Bruce Hart at Thank anything. You. <sighs> you know how Bruce is always like a background linger? Mm-hmm. Stu is We see where he got it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's, it's all in the blood. <laughs> right. So Waylon, like we said, he does not have a toupee yet, and he just looks like a sane person. Because if you've ever seen 70s, 80s Ed Waylon, like you said, like the rug coat. coat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a rug on his head. Uh, Ricky wants a rematch against Bulldog. Bulldog Brower, but big wide stew here thinks, uh, yeah, you were winning on uh, points there against the uh, big fella. Uh, I, would say, I wouldn't say wide. I was surprised how skinny was it. Look at it. Like it's, skinny. No, my point was I thought his suit looked too big on him. Like I was like, I thought that he wasn't big and because no, <laughs> he, he hit the shoulders looked like they were like the Vegeta shield, you know, like <laughs> they, they, they looked too big. Like you know, my dad was a big guy. He had uh, legs like tree trunks. <laughs> Brett's actually said that. It's almost like <laughs> Stu bought that suit with the hopes of growing into it, and that's why he got fat. Yeah, this had a good put on some weight. It's like he, he tells Martha or whatever to, like, Helen. Uh, Helen, sorry. I hate wrestling. <laughs> she's like, he's like, hey, Helen, can I make me the fast food so I can fit in the suit? Like, you know, like, he's just like, and it took 10 years to fit into it. <laughs> Still, can he stop with the wrestling? I yeah. hate this fucking shit. And one more match. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, our next match is entering the ring in the background of everything going because they're in the ring doing a promo in the background of wrestlers. So Stu says he's received a lot of calls from a lot of the boys wanting a match against the big fellow. I've had a lot of uh, calls from other boys uh, wanting a match with the big fellow and I'm... uh so he doesn't know if Ricky's going to get his rematch yet. He's awful on the mic here, by the way. I feel like I'm listening to a lecture with like tons of pauses. Like, and then, um, you know, the yeah. thing moves into the... Um, 
And then it goes there and it's like Ben uh, Stein and Wonder like, Years. Shut the fuck, like, <laughs> dude, you shouldn't be talking. Like, let Ed Whalen handle it. He seems like he's a, he, he, you know, he did the weather or something before this. I don't know what he was. Yeah, probably yeah. something like that. Stu is only like 47 here, but he's talking like he always did, just a higher voice, but like it's the same, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, he also mentions that he can call his house. And Ed is like, <laughs> this hey, is insane. Can I give out your number? Yeah. It's CH9-2143. Do I dare give out your phone number? Yeah, you can. CH9-2143. <laughs> this is hilariously quaint. Yeah, just give me like, this number. On TV. Like, he's just like, here's my phone number. Call, tell me which match you want to see. Isn't that amazing, though? It's 61. Like, could you imagine Vince giving his cell phone number? <laughs> like, it's just like, okay, who do you want to see uh, fucking Roman Reigns fight at WrestleMania? Get, call me up. Remember, me out of there's just like a voicemail. Remember when Austin interviewed Vince? And Austin, like, roped Vince into... Yeah, that was, that was amazing. Because Austin's like, so how can we tell... How can people tell you what they want to see or not? Oh, well, there's social media. You heard it here. Yeah, it's yeah, Vince McMahon on Twitter. Exactly. And it just gets all sad. Like, no, no, no. Don't. <laughs> I like, it's like, I don't want my Twitter flooded. <laughs> it was really funny. Uh, John Fody now barges in to say that Gino Morella is one of the greatest in the world today, but he will pin Gorilla. And no, he won't. <laughs> Get, stop. And Ed's like, you could uh, use the 650 clams, too. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> like, they keep noting this money still. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Stu creeps behind them again, of course, to introduce... Some of the top amateurs, which are a bunch of kids and some old man named Harold. <laughs> the shit is happening. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Apparently, these kids are going to be wrestling tonight at the YMCA. Yeah, or the Y. As yeah, they the call. Y. Where is that? The Y? 7.30. Be, be there. there. Yeah. They're very excited. <laughs> you want to see these little kids wrestle? It's probably got the same excitement as this elementary school gym crowd over here. Yeah, really? so, but actually at an elementary school. And Waylon's just trying to get this, move this shit along. He's like, oh, you kids all in chip? Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah. Get out of here. It's like we got matches. Stu yanks the mic again and accuses Bulldog Brower of oversleeping. I guess he was supposed to be here on commentary with them. Yeah, he. More, it's more like mumble, mumble, bulldog. <laughs> bulldog. Our next match is in the ring now. It's Gene Murphy versus Ken Larmer. I don't even know who's who. They're like fucking clones. Black trunks, black this boots. Is so, this match was so hard to watch, folks. Like, they would roll around, they'd get up, and I'd be like, wait, which, what? Like, Seems- you know... This was bad. See why gimmicks are important? Because yeah. if Gorgeous George is one Haircuts of them... Haircuts are important because <laughs> these guys have even the same fucking hair. They do. See, if Gorgeous George was in the ring, would there be any mistaking him? Yeah. This is what we meant about Gorgeous George a couple of weeks ago and sure. gimmicks and things like that. Gimmicks matter. Anyway, head scissors by Larmer. Both men get up. Body slam by Murphy, but Larmer hangs on into the hammerlock. I don't know which ones you're talking about right now. I'm serious. <laughs> it's okay. Stu says something about a guy that came into the stampede with a very high rating in Europe or something. <laughs> Let's yeah, get out of here. With a high rating in, uh, in Europe. <laughs> Another body slamming scenario here. Uh, Larmer keeps the hammerlock on. Murphy cannot find a way out. He tries a snap mare, but Larmer continues to roll through. Hey, the crowd likes it. Yeah, they actually make noise. Right? Yeah. Uh, another snap mare attempt by Murphy to no avail, and Waylon's like, the man from down under may be down in the dumps. Uh, I feel like he says down under 63 times after this, by the way. <laughs> Maybe 69 times. because uh, yeah. 69! Thank you. Finally, Larmer breaks, but then goes into an Indian deathlock here. Both men up arm Murphy with an arm ringer, Bill Armour with a flying head scissors, head scissors, which wakes up the crowd again. Murphy with an escape, both men up. Lock up arm drag by Larmer, followed by another hideous small package by Larmer gets a zero count because the ref, the janitor, Thor, whatever, was just wandering around the ring. It's weird because he like counts people out in four seconds, but like a pin, no, you better, you you better, better be down. Yeah, yeah exactly. I gotta make sure. 
before I even start the count. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Both men are up. Murphy with a side headlock, but Larmer rolls through for a pin that gets in the ropes. Both men up again. Single leg by Murphy. Step over under a bridging leg lock, but Larmer rolls out, reverses into a seated single crab. Murphy then rolls out as the bell rings for time. Hey, I like these time limits. Like, <laughs> yeah. What was that, three-minute time yeah. limit or some shit? Seriously, right? That was quick. <laughs> Handshake by the man as the crowd has some very respectful ap- applause. And Whalen is all like, that was a fine workout. Or What is this, practice? It seemed like, like, like it. What do we watch it? Because he said, he said fine workout in the middle of the match, and I'm like, is this like... Is just that why it's short? It's yeah. just like it's just them like practicing, so maybe one of them could fight Gorilla Monsoon or something. <laughs> Imagine, yeah, that's all or it is. Bulldog, just whatever. Warming up in the ring, yeah. Why uh, are they practicing on fucking TV? I don't know. Like he he keeps noting that that was a workout. He does. Yeah. It's real. Now Waylon hops into the ring again to talk to a wrestler named Timmy. Like I don't know who it why is. Why did I barely say anyone's name on this? Like how am I? The, the clone guys. They don't say who this fucking guy is. They're just like, oh, maybe he'll fight Bulldog or what? something. But well, Waylon's not known as a good announcer just a very colorful one you know he's not it's just so hard for anybody like especially okay you got a shitty tv with like 240p resolution yeah and black and white 11 inch screen scan lines up the butt you can't see anything <laughs> right and like they don't even tell you who these people are no. you can you can't tell the difference between them like listen it, it's horrible ed whalen cannot be bothered with minor details like people's names and the names of holds and yeah. things like that he just has to make his comments you know what i mean he's like john sterling he you just really use your imagination yeah. when you're watching like i bet you people just back then just made up their own names like yeah. they probably didn't know they didn't remember Bob Gino Morel. They're just like, uh, he looks like the big man. Yeah, exactly. The tall, the tall guy. This um, this Timmy fella keeps saying Stuart Hart, by the way, like over and over. And I was saying the Stuart Hart. I don't know what accent this is. This whole conversation is, is weird. Because <laughs> now, of course, Stu chimes in again. He's like, hey, my, my fans keep me in business. So I, uh, I want to give them a match they prefer, uh, which would be this Timmy guy versus uh, Bulldog Brower. And he, Stu says, hey, if he gets enough inquiries, he's going to make that match that people want to see. Hey, he's got to feed 50 kids, so you got to go with the fan choice, I guess. You know, in the 60s when I was growing up, I couldn't even brush my teeth. Tooth powder. <laughs> Tooth powder. Use my finger. Yeah. I do, I do like Stu's honesty, though. He's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the least confident promoter ever. I'm just, saying, it's, it's, I'm just thinking of him in that shitty fucking den from Wrestling with Shadows, but in the 60s, and it looks the same because Brett Memory's like, you know, we didn't update the furniture and the lawn for 50 years or something. So it's like the same place. We had a bear Stu, living under the steps. Stu's just deliberating and like the phone's going off, and it's like, I think, Stu, that uh, this guy should fight. Bulldog Brower, like he's just deliberating for hours and right in the background, he's like, you know, my dad is really thinking about. It. He's like writing in his diary. You know? Helen's like, still, you got a call from Gino Morella again. I hate this. And she's like, still, can you stop with this wrestling stuff? It's like, just I, I think, uh, just pick anybody. Pick I don't anybody. Care. We gotta eat dinner. Yeah. Uh, Stu now just launches into the story, Quinn. And I'm not making this up about it's like a joke or a st- I can't tell what he's it is. He's talking about a movie he, he saw. There's a movie where uh, the water buffalo was fighting the tiger and the tiger won tiger. Suzanne, <laughs> you reminded me of uh, this movie uh, I saw of the water buffalo and the tiger. The tiger was on the water buffalo's uh, back, you know, trying to and uh, Mighty Earth is trying into the wall there trying to knock Timmy off. But he backed up into the wall two or three times, but he could not uh, budge him, and finally he sunk down and uh, went under, but... Uh 
My goodness, what even is this? It's just some casual, co- <laughs> like, because Timmy's like, ha-ha, like, yeah, you know, like, it's like, oh, I didn't see that one or with, something. Like, with the drinking beer at the VFW or something. Like, yeah. what is this? It feels like this is the kind of conversation Stu has when he's wearing that fucking flannel coat from that picture. <laughs> like, in the, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, I like, this is this is normal fare. <laughs> and now in a great part of the show, Gorilla Monsoon just storms into the ring to bitch about how he didn't lose the pot. Nobody can pin him or make him submit, so fuck off. <laughs> And he's like, he's like, you know what? Next time, I'm going to use reverse psychology. I'm going to act like I don't have the pot, and like I'm going for the pot, so I'm going to win. That was actually good. Yeah, <laughs> nobody can win the fucking pot, Jess. Yeah, like he, I'm, you know, you half expect Jess at the end because yeah. it's like a gorilla rant. It's amazing. It really is. In '61, he, he always was the same. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Uh, next, Again, I- shining picture. <laughs> yeah. like pans in it's like gorilla how is he there (laughs) next is our main event i guess or whatever and uh Stu is like how many uh, minutes do we have left here ed (laughs) like on camera legitimately asking yeah like literally asking uh the match by the way is ripper miller versus bill solueco who didn't uh, even catch any of that it's okay now, Bill Solueco is the fat guy, Quinn, okay? There's a that, fat guy and a tall guy. That's literally what I, I called them in my notes, yeah. fat and tall. So the fat guy, Bill Solueco, is uh, also known as Klondike Bill. You might have heard that name, 70s, 80s wrestler. Not a major player, like but... He looked I've seen him before. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you say Solueco. I thought I heard him say Sullivan. No, Solueco. Yeah. But you know who Ripper Miller is? This oh. one's even better. The tall guy? What is that, like Killer Kowalski no, or no, some no. shit? But with someone we've seen in 82... Can you think of the worst wrestler we ever saw in 82? Oh, it's Mighty Joe Thunder, Yes, isn't it, it yeah. is. It's oh. Mighty Joe Thunder. God. Yes, it, it is a young Mighty Joe Thunder. He was young at well, some point. it is a middle-aged Mighty Joe Thunder. Oh, my God. So anyway, lock up an arm drag into an arm bar on the mat by Bill Bridge by the Ripper, but he can't escape. Miller powers to his feet, but Bill keeps the hold on, takes him down. That Bill here literally looks like an Oompa Loompa, like, you know, Taz. Like, yeah. It's just like, it's like that, did it, did Taz, and yeah. like Oompa Loompa comes, like, it, he looks like that. He does. Uh, Ed Whalen just uh, chimes in and mentioned that a Gorilla Monsoon, Gino Morella, is normally very mild-mannered. You know, he's a little surprised That's with that true. outburst. It is true. Uh, Ripper with a chin lock, but Bill quickly escapes with a hip toss. Meanwhile, Stu's all like, <laughs> like, thanks. Like, I can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> As we get closer to the end of the show, he becomes more indiscernible. Yeah. Alright, lock up in an arm drive by Ripper into a toehold, buffing up Miller off the ropes, but Bill here with a quick shoulder block, lock up single leg by Klondike Bill into a toehold, back up in an arm drag by Bill as Waylon mentions at the oh, going to be another minute or so of this match and then we're just going to wrap things up. I love how Waylon talks. Like He's just like, okay, yeah, this is it. show's almost over, boys. Like, get ready to change the channel just or something. Just no yeah. drama. Yeah. doesn't care at all what's going on. He's like, alerting you that the show's ending soon. Yeah. Like, who does? You're not supposed to do that. I know. You're not supposed to, like, encourage them to go away. And then I get to leave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, basically, he's like, gonna wrap it well, up we're going to just wrap it up in a minute. Uh, punch by Miller, but Bill with the side headlock. Bulldog Brower now barges in to yell about how this is nonsense because Stu told him that this show started at 11. <laughs> what is this nonsense here? You told me to be here at 11 o'clock. This is great. He's got a fucking suitcase. Yeah. Like, like he actually showed up. Like, on, like to him it was on time, but yeah. Stu fucking lied to him. Yeah. Which seems like something Stu would do yeah, to. Starts at eleven, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like it's a prank. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Bulldog says Stu is scared, scared that he's gonna beat up all of his boys, and then Brower just takes off his jacket, storms into the ring, and beats up both guys. Good. <laughs> So then Stu himself runs in to stop things. He gets thrown down. Klondike then throws Stu down as well. This is awesome, by 
the way. It's like so sudden and odd. Chaotic, actually. Brower quickly and hilariously runs over with a chair, nails Miller with it. Again, I love how Stu lied to Bulldog about the start time and kayfabe. Like, why is this happening? It's just so funny because I don't think Stu likes Brower. Yeah. Right? Because he's just like a wild man, Bulldog Brower. He's the booker or whatever. He can't can't be biased like that. He doesn't know what to do about it. He's president or whatever. You know, general manager or whatever it is of Sam Commissioner. Stop. He's still thinking about what to do. He doesn't know yet. So Stu hops down to try to restore order outside, but Brower's making a huge scene. Waylon just laughs because why be serious? Look at this. Yeah, he's like, like, (laughs) Brower punches Stu, reaches for the chair, and Waylon's all, I'm trying to keep my microphone. And then the sound just gets fucked up. It's it's all, there's no sound. Stu trying to control him. He's going after the chairs, and I'm trying to keep my microphone in. There's literally no sound, so it feels like you're watching the Zaruda tapes or something. Like, you know what I mean? Zaruda film, yeah, yes. whatever it is. Meanwhile, meanwhile, while this is going on with no no wailing, right? No sound. Brower and Bill both have chairs, and you can hear the sound of like an unplugged cable getting messed with. It's very spooky. It is. It's like because yeah. also the crowd sound is cut out. That's the thing. Yeah. It's we're we're not explaining. I think is that like no, like all the audio got, yeah, got fucked all up. All the not, audio, not just the not the, wailing. Yeah. The whole thing. Stu, meanwhile, as these two are fighting with chairs, he keeps calmly setting the chairs back down, but the wrestlers just keep picking them up. Then we just cut to Waylon in the ring, laughing about how his power got cut. That's not true. That's it's almost not- like untechnical, like 60s, yeah. nobody knows about technology yet. Oh, the power got cut here, yeah, I guess. The power. <laughs> we wouldn't even see anything if the power got cut. What is he talking about? And then he's like, uh, my cord was broken, but we're back in business, and Brower's back in his cage. And then some kid tries to wave with the camera, and Ed shoves him away. Did you see that? I didn't even notice that Some yet. kid's like trying to get into the frame, he's like, ah. <laughs> so uh, Waylon again reminds us to call Stu Hart at C. CH92143. Yeah, call his house. We should have like a OVP t shirt of that phone number. Like just that. <laughs> it's so funny. It's Stu Hart. Like just right under it. Right? Yeah. Stu fats into the frame again to say that Brower isn't going to be wrestling here because he's an asshole. And that's it. We're out of time. And honestly, Quinn, this was legitimately kind of fun. It was a nice slice of vintage wrestling. The gorilla stuff, the promo, the chaos at the end. Not bad at all. Yeah, fun, short, but very weird show. It's <laughs> really like all over the place and Ed Whalen and so now Stu's I, number. <laughs> so now I can see, right? Because if Stampede was this chaotic and this fun all the time in the 60s, in the early 60s, right? Yeah, I guess it had a reputation. It right? had a reputation, but by the 80s, the stuff we've seen from like the 80s is Straight not good. Straight trash. Yeah, like, honestly. Horrible. It, it is, but this was fun, folks, and it's on YouTube, easily available. Just search Stampede Wrestling 1961. Who cares? It's like 28 minutes. It's definitely worth it, honestly. If you want to see a young girl a monsoon wrestle and cut a promo, and Stu be insane yeah. and give you his phone number, and Ed Whalen <laughs> not with funny. a carpet coat and no yeah. hair. And if you want a wild little brawl at the end there and see some Bulldog Brower, if you want to see a young Mighty Joe Thunder, I, I don't. <laughs> nobody wants to see that a young Klondike Bill maybe but uh yeah it was a fun little show and folks we hope you've liked our fun little show here it's been a episode number 169 Michael Quinn 169 thank you very much and guess what next week is the finale yeah that's it 
the final flush, the final influencer, and we will be reviewing something. Folks, thank you so much, as always, for being with us here. Leave us a review on iTunes if you have that. We would really appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter, at OVP Podcast. If you want extra stuff, join Patreon. Just give it a shot. Patreon.com slash OVP Podcast. But until next time, until next week for 170, I'm Joe Murata. That's Michael Quinn, and we are out of here. See ya! Mr. Morales? I, uh, I realize that by this action here this morning, I cannot lose the pot because it stipulates that I have to be either pinned or caused to submit in 10 minutes. Now, up to today, I have been given literally passive resistance for the simple fact that in my mind, I know that there's nobody in this crew or in this territory right here now that can cause me to submit or pin me in 10 minutes. But as of today, when I step in that ring next time for that pot, I will have the reverse psychology on the deal. I'm going to say that this man has got the pot, and I'm trying to take it from him. And I'm telling you, the matches won't go 10 minutes. <laughs> there is an ultimatum. There is an ultimatum. Will you stop? stop, stop, stop.